Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 21 of History on the Table. All right, folks, it's our end of the year wrap up, kind of our best of, but done a little bit differently. Uh, but first off, how are you doing, Rich? I am doing great. I know some people follow me on Twitter. I've made some sort of vague allusions to it, but I did have a little bit of a health scare last week. And when I say a little bit of a health scare, I actually, my heart stopped for a little while, but I'm doing much better now. Um, they they found the issue. I've got great doctors. I had great lifeguards where I was working out at the pool and everything is great. And I feel better than I felt in a long time. So uh, you know, I made a I made a New Year's resolution in 2021 to not have any heart attacks, and I broke that right away. But going forward, <laughs> I think I'm going to do better. <laughs> uh, it's it's great. Obviously, it's great that you're here. But uh, this is just like a week later, like a week and a half later. A uh, week and a day. Yep. Week and a day, and we're back. Well, I'm, yeah. I mean, I was here the whole time, but like you're here, and that's outstanding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not really much to say about it other than that, you know, I was I was really fortunate to be where I was when it happened. It was it was an electrical issue. It was kind of a ticking time bomb that was going to go off at some point, and luckily it went off very close to two excellent lifeguards. So, yeah, uh, amazing you're here. Even more amazing that uh, you're well and doing well and and sound great. Wouldn't even know. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, kind of before all that craziness, you took a little siesta. Someone approved some vacation time. No one ran it by me. And, uh, you had a nice little getaway to the lake. Is that right? I did. Our family, we just took about, it was like two long weekends, basically the weekend between Christmas and new year. So it, it ended up being about 10 days. We got an Airbnb. We went to Lake of the Ozarks and basically just, I mean, the same thing that we would have done here instead of staying home and playing games, we just pretty much stayed in that Airbnb and played games and um, had a great time. Watched watched some TV, played some games, um, watched a really lovely weather. I mean, uh, we had like an ice storm. I think this was a few days after Christmas, kind of in between an ice storm that, that was then followed by snow and everything was just beautiful down there. So it was a great time to not go anywhere and already be somewhere. I've all I've always said I've wanted to go down the Lake of those arcs in the off season in the winter. Just mm-hmm. uh, a buddy's folks had a a lake house and they just talked about how nice it was because it's just dead and quiet on the yeah, lake. Yeah, it was very quiet down there. I mean, when weather. we did go out for groceries or whatever else, like you know, you go to the grocery store on New Year's Eve around here and it's going to be packed. But we I went right. New Year's Eve to pick up stuff for for the night and there was no one there. It was great. Good. Well, welcome back. I hope you had. I uh, hope you guys had a great time playing games. We played a little bit of. Uh, you know, Holly's not quite getting the like worker placement aspect <laughs> down yet. Um, so my wife and I played some games during some naps, and when she was in bed, and that was nice to get back to. Um, just cause, like looking back, twenty twenty was one of my least was the least amount of games I've played in a long time. Um, like in the last five years is my lowest number for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's we, probably the case for me too. But it was also the most RPGs I played. And then like a lot of repeat plays of big games. So it may look like less, but it was still 
a great year. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do tonight. Um, Sure, I'll get the stereotypical comment out of the way. Yeah, 2020 was an awful year for so many (laughs) different reasons. Um, But from a purely board game, RPG, and war game perspective, other than canceled conventions and not not seeing friends, um, it was a pretty good year. Definitely the year for Vassal and Tabletop Simulator and Board Game Arena and all those. Yeah, Roll20, all of those things. I mean, it, it really was, if you had an online venue for, like, role-playing or playing more games or something like that, it, it, it certainly was. Um, so much that a couple times my wife and I, like, had to, like, how about you only do this this many nights a week? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh, man, when COVID started, I just think back to playing. I played so much Magic the Gathering Arena which mm-hmm. is a fantastic program. Like they have really made magic really enjoyable with that game. Like when I'm supposed to be working from home, when everything's shut down, it's like, oh, I'll just do one more match, one more match, one more match. Uh, so there was a lot of that going on this year. And uh, so all of that said, the, the purpose of this show tonight is just to talk about all the things we enjoyed from 2020. Um, it's not going to be a countdown list or... There's going to be some similarities to what I did last year. We pulled some of the same categories from the original Charles S. Roberts Awards, and we'll, we'll talk through those. Uh, but really, I see it as a conversation between Rich and I about just the things we enjoyed last year, our favorite things of 2020. Yeah, and not all the things come from 2020 because, I mean, as everyone listening knows, you know, a game that was made five years ago can be just as fun this year as it was then. And if it's the first time, if we played it for the first time in 2020, it was new to us at least. Yeah. And I'm, I have no, no problem with the cult of the new, but this does go against that grain a little bit because we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. There are very few 2020 things on our list. If, if you look. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that because we were talking about, you know, new to me in 2020 versus absolutely actually published in 2020. And even though, I feel like I bought a lot of games last year. I don't think I bought that many that were actually published in 2020. So, and part of it is because of COVID, a lot of publishing was slowed down. So things that would have come out earlier in the year came out later, like next door Vietnam. I I got that last year, but I still haven't played it yet. So, and that's a good segue into, so what qualifies for our list this year? Same, same thing as last year, as long as it was published in 2020 or it was in some way new to us in 2020, uh, it was good to go for this list. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start out with the war game stuff. And then as the night goes on, um, the quality of the podcast will be a lot like my sobriety level. <laughs> uh, it's just going to go downhill. And so we'll start with the war games and stuff. I'm going to keep us on track. No drinking for me you tonight. Yeah, <laughs> i got to right. check with my doctor before I start that back up. I was going to say you're my DP for designated podcaster, but I just realized that would yeah. be awful. So uh, I will not say you're my DP. Between the back door and the DP, we might want to be careful. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be drinking a lot tonight, um, which if that wasn't a theme of 2020, I don't know what was. Um, and so we're going to start with the war game stuff. We'll transition to board games. We'll take a little break to talk about just um every war game ever all that stuff and then we're gonna wrap up the show with all the other stuff we enjoy um which is just a chance for us you know rich and i both enjoy a whole bunch of other stuff other than war games and so it's just for a chance for us to talk about all those stuff 
and celebrate the good things from 2020 that we enjoyed. Awesome. Finally, I'll mention uh, we have a lot of special guests. So <laughs> I reached out to several different people, um, several different podcasters or YouTubers, uh, and heard back from several several of them. And so throughout the night, we'll hear from them, their best of of 2020. I got to say real quick before we get um, too far into it. Uh, bless Jason from Advance After Combat because I, <laughs> I said to everyone like, hey, send me like a 90 second or two minute clip. And uh, bless his soul, he sent me a 14 minute clip. Clip. So uh, we'll be going to the field. Was he getting live, drunker and he? drunker over the course of the clip too? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he did send me a message. He said his wife came in and checked on him because uh, <laughs> typically he records at night. But uh, he, she was wondering why he was in his office talking to himself. I guess. <laughs> So we'll hear from uh, we'll hear from Jason. We got a listener email that I'd like to talk about as well from Bryant. We've got Mark Johnson, Joel from Turn Order Gaming, and uh, a few other familiars you may rec- recognize. And uh, yeah, I do want to apologize to Ardwolf because I lost his clip um, because we delayed a week and it was just a whole big thing. So instead of bothering him for it, uh, he did send a very nice clip, but I downloaded it at work and couldn't recover it, and it was just a mess. So. Good to know he's Good. listening, he, though. I enjoy listening to him, so watching him. On yeah, YouTube. yeah. He's got such a... Uh, he's got a voice <laughs> made for this. Uh, anything you want to add, Rich, before we get we get going? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this. It's always nice. I mean, like you said, 2020 is crap. Everyone knows it. Um, but even in a terrible year, it, a lot of good stuff happened. I'm looking forward to 2021. Um, I'm feeling good right now. I'm looking forward to playing games this year and I'm just in a very hopeful spot right now. So good. And that's, that's really awesome to hear considering everything that happened yeah. to you last week. Um, great. Uh, a couple things I want to, uh, bookkeeping things I want to get out of the way, um, which is really just what I'm drinking tonight. So figuring that you probably want to be drinking, I went ahead and, um, ported three drinks, uh, two for you, <laughs> one for me, or one, two for me, one for you. Um, so, uh, to kick the night off, I started with a, uh, a glass of 16 year Lagavulin, which is my all time favorite scotch. It's oh, so good. It is so good. That's and the stuff you, you brought to Donkey again, Kong when we first met, right? It is. It awesome, is. And yeah. I tried it against the nine year this year. The nine year is not bad, but in my opinion, just spend an extra 25 bucks unless the nine. So I found the nine year like way marked down. Yeah. Just spend the extra money if they're comparable and get this uh, 16 year. It's it's so much smoother, but it still packs this the same peat. Oh yeah. Um, it is a very peaty, very smooth scotch. So that's what I'm started with. I'm sipping that. Uh, so the other thing I'm going is a Blackbeard's Ghost. Um, I'm not going to spoil all my tiki stuff because at the end of this month we'll talk about this later. We're going to be talking tiki, uh, but I'll get to that. Um, so I've You're got have to that define in tiki my... for me. I mean, I, when I think of tiki, I think of like torches stuck in the ground. Yeah, exactly. And so these are tiki drinks. They're full of different flutes, fruits and syrups and good oh, okay. rum. And, uh, this is in my brand new tiki mug from, uh, Galaxy's Edge. Is that what it's called? The Star Wars place in the, the Star Wars place. Yeah, yeah. 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 Your buddy Adam hooks me up with this. Nice uh in in conjunction with roy um and so i'm drinking a blackbeard's ghost and that and then when i get thirsty i've got a miller light here and uh <laughs> we'll see where our where we're at in about 10 minutes i really do 
plan to progress to pretty drunk by the time we get to <laughs> our last category of the year, which is our favorite socks of the year. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Uh, you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. I feel like we're on a time crunch at this point. <laughs> uh, did you get the Canadian tuxedo I sent you? <laughs> I did not. Well, all right. We'll need another delay because <laughs> here I am wearing one and now I feel like a fool like I'm overdressed. <laughs> uh, great. Let's get started. Uh, our first category is War Games Ancients to Pre American Revolution. Rich, why don't you kick us off because I've already been talking a lot? Absolutely. Sure. Um, one that I guess I can't remember how many episodes ago. It might have been our last episode is our feature game, Imperial Struggle, uh, just produced this year. Uh, so that w- is actually one of the games I play that was made in 2020. Um, so yeah, that that was definitely top of my list. Probably the only one I played that was just made this year. Um, so we've already talked about that one quite a bit. I enjoy it. Um, played it probably since the last time we talked, I probably played it a couple more times. I played it once online with a friend who just completely ruined me in an afternoon and played again with my wife. So she's enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. One of my greatest shames is that I didn't stick with this. And I, I we've talked on this. We don't need to talk about it. But the fact that I didn't get back to this in 2020 yeah. is a real disappointment. I was listening to Punching Cardboard. Uh, yeah. which covers like heavy Euro games and they both really liked Imperial struggles. So, like with you talking about it and those two guys, it's like, ah, I, I really missed an opportunity to, you know, catch that initial wave. Yeah. I, I am in on the, the reprint though. Oh, cool. Which, yeah. which should help. Yeah. And then uh new to play for me, it wasn't produced this year, but um, it's, it's a system game and I've only played one game in the system. So clash of arms produces a system called battles from the age of reason. Uh, and the game that I played is Prague, which is one of a dozen or so games in that system. So, uh, one of the themes of the last couple of months of 2020 for me was that my ASL games kept getting canceled. And, uh, there was one night in particular that ASL was canceled and Mitch was already going to be playing a BAR game with someone else. And I'm like, you know what? I've been interested in that system. I just want to log on and hear about it because actually Dave and Mitch and, and Rex and I were all talking about it the week before. Um, so I just want to log in and see. Well, it turns out the person Mitch was going to play had also dropped off. And then Mitch and Mitch basically just taught Clay and I how to play that night. So um, really interesting system. I haven't played it enough to do a full review of it. It's on my table now, ready to go. I'm going to play it a lot more and you're going to be hearing a lot more about this game. But um, it's, you know, 18th century warfare. The way cavalry works is really cool. You know, you'll chase guys literally off the map and just like destroying them as you go. Facing is super important for your infantry units. And even the two sides, you know, whether you're playing Austria or Prussia, they have different movement values based on which way you're turning because, you know, they were two different armies and they drilled in different ways and everything. So um, very specific, very detailed, but not like a, not, it's not over detail. It's just, it's just very fun and, and realistic feeling. You know, you've got to set up a line of battle. You have to figure out how to attack a whole line at once, you know, whether you want to try to roll them up, which is obviously ideal, or if you want to try to hit them head on and you're going to get shot to hell as you approach and everything. But uh, really, really fun. Battles uh, battles from the Age of Reason, and I played Prague. This and Labatai are very... Yeah, 
And that's how that's how the conversation got started is because I think Mitch is more of a BAR guy and right. Dave is more of a Labat guy. And we're just kind of sitting around the table together talking about, you know, comparing the two. So, yeah. And that's Dave from Advance After Combat. There yeah. is a a review episode of Bard and Advance After Combat, but I'm going to tell you it's not very helpful if you actually want to get, get a grasp of it. Um, <laughs> Uh, that that episode was co-hosted by Samer. It's a good episode to listen to, but not if you're actually looking for bar information. <laughs> uh, so I bought into bar and Labatai, and I just haven't played them. I would say one of the most like gorgeous box, like the whole box all around, is Malwitz <laughs> and Chituzits, uh, and it's yeah. uh, the First Silesian War. And like you can get that for pretty cheap, like under fifty bucks. You should be able to find a copy of Malwitz. Yeah, and, well, I got uh, Prague, but and I actually don't even have a box for it. It came in a Ziploc yeah. bag, so yeah, it's but, Clash Farms, so they uh, they yep. do have like Ziploc bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, really interested in that stuff. Uh, yeah, so I, I've got three games this year in twenty twenty publication wise. I know Caesar Rome versus Gaul. I need to play this more, but I'm putting it on this list because I think it gets rid of Hannibal and Hamilcar for me. I'm going to keep playing it before I sell my copy of Hannibal and Hamilcar, but just the removal of the combat system where you're, you know, you're playing cards back and forth, responding to each other, that's out. And this new combat system's in, I think I would rather play this. I I should probably revisit Hannibal or Hamilcar. I think Hamilcar is the one that people like Mm -hmm. more don't remember, but like this, this is the same thing or... You know, I've already gotten wa- rid of Washington's War because it didn't click for me. But again, I think Caesar Rome versus Gaul is a better game than Washington's War as well. Um, hmm. This is a point-to-point card-driven game designed by Mark Simonich and actually developed by, uh, I saw Mitchell Mitch, was the yeah. developer on that, published by GMT Games in 2020. Um, obviously, it's a uh, set in the Roman era and it's really good. It's very tense. It's very puzzly. Um, I think it's a game that rewards repeat plays by use of the cards, knowing what each side can do, that type of thing. I can't remember if I asked you this when we talked about it before, but is it uh, is it like just a sit-down one-time play for two, three hours game, or are there different scenarios? Yeah. Or I think I think you could. I don't remember if there's more than one scenario or not. I, I, uh, it's been a while since I've looked at like the scenario rules. Uh, but yeah, you could play this in an evening, especially if both, both of you know it. I think it's definitely shorter than Hamilcar. Um, very good, though. A uh, couple other games. So let's talk about Here I Stand, because this was new to me in 2020, and I know you love this game. Oh, yeah. You've said before that it's the best way you can spend a day wargaming. Who won your New Year's Eve game? Uh, the Ottomans won, but if I had just... Oh, so I even rolled it to see if I would get it. If I had one more control point, yeah. I even needed something I did earlier in my turn. I didn't even need to do. If I had one more control point, I even made the roll. I would have been able to get an automatic victory as Britain. Huh. Basically, uh, France ran away with the lead and then everyone stomped him down. That's kind of what's happening in my current game, except I'm yeah, France. <laughs> so good. So we've talked about here. I stand and I think, uh, I think we'll we'll do a featured episode on it soon, so I don't want to go into this too much. Uh, but Rich, I kind of agree with you. Like both times I've played this year, that was a fantastic way to spend a day. Mm-hmm. And that was at home. Like, how much fun would that be in person? Right, right. Yeah. So you've you've played live online twice, which is 
really right. cool. I mean, the only time I've ever played that game live online is when I played with you. Most of the time. I mean, I've played it on the table a lot, and I've played it on play-by-email a lot. Yeah, I think my goal is to do that twice a year because um, I can I can get it in as my birthday. Like, hey, honey, can I do this for my birthday? <laughs> and the other one is we, we close down the office the week after Christmas. So I was like, hey, since we're closed this week, can I take a personal this to my wife? Like, can I just take a day to, you know, not get off, get my ass off the computer for 10 hours while we play uh, Here I Stand? And I think we played for seven and a half hours is what our... That's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. So here I stand, a, a card-driven game uh, with six different factions. I can't imagine it definitely plays less than six, but I just can't imagine doing that. I have played with fewer, and I will not again. Well, there you go. And each faction plays differently. France and England you know, share similarities, but they're all unique. Um, some of the factions, like the Protestants, really don't even do much militarily. There's very little they can do with it. Uh, it's very good. And I don't mind the like pile on the leader because once people start <laughs> piling on the leader, I don't think the end is that far away. And yeah. the two times I've seen it. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I said, I was in that France position where I got off to a good lead, but what's really interesting is that even though they kind of piled on me, it was really England and Habsburgs mostly that piled on me. And, but I was able to get the Habsburgs off by leveraging the Ottomans and I'm not doing that bad. So considering that I've had some home spaces taken away, I'm probably better off than I should be. It's it's all about leverage. I mean, that's like the key word in this game because as the leader, if you get out in the... Like, France had a perfect hand of cards. And he was able to convince the Ottomans to help him. It wasn't enough, but like... Somehow he convinced the Ottomans, even though it was very clear he was about to win, to <laughs> be his ally, which yeah. is pretty impressive. And so it's all about like trading those keys and um, being able to negotiate. I mean, the game doesn't, you know, a lot of times we talk about like, how do how do we feel when we're playing this game? And like one of the reasons I love US Civil War is because I, I really feel like McClellan, you know, and, and things like that. Um I don't you don't really get the same feeling there, but I think it's such a great game of negotiation and backstab. I mean, not like not diplomacy backstabbing, but shenanigans and stuff. Very good game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let's go back to February. I I really miss Onward Christian Soldiers, which was one of my best gaming experiences of 2020. Um. Such a cool game where everyone's kind of play playing their own. Did you play that just at a regular KC Gaming Day? It was uh, our second to last KC Gaming okay. Day, I think. Well, we only had two, so that would be accurate. <laughs> um, and we had five people, uh, I want to say. And it was phenomenal. The game has some issues. I know we talked about that, but... Uh, Onward Christian Soldiers is a Crusades game. I think you can do first or third Crusades. And each player plays either a different Ottoman faction or um, a different leader like Richard Lionheart or I don't remember how else it's broken down. Uh, But you kind of need to work together. Like um, we as the Christian players really got punished, I think, because we didn't coordinate our sieges and really work together. 
We also got screwed over by supply as we were learning the game, but man, what a great game. What a great experience. If you get the full allotment of players, which is seven, mm-hmm. that buy in and are committed to playing and learning the game, I think it's a huge payoff. I think we had six people because we were one short and then one guy left and we dropped down to five. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I would really like to play that somewhat time. Looks fun. That one and Genesis is actually, it's an, another Ancients game that I'd like to play again. I've only played once and I enjoyed it. It was it was kind of weird getting around the CRT. Sorry, we're not talking about 2020 now, but just reminded me of it. And uh, yeah, one I want to play more. No, I, I love Genesis. We've been playing the same game for a couple of years now. And oh, wow. sadly, it's been canceled the last couple of times. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the problem with, with bird games is they're not balanced. Yeah. But I think that's okay if you know that, especially Genesis. Genesis is very unbalanced. Yeah. Um, but as long as players know that and are okay with that, and that's kind of the deal with Armored Christian Soldiers, you need to know, like, okay, there's some vague rules issues, and we <laughs> just need to work those out beforehand. Uh, so that's Onward Christian Soldiers. So ancients to pre-american revolution i had caesar rome versus gaul onward christian soldiers and here i stand i had imperial struggle and battles from the age of reason Prague. that's a pretty good category for us this year five games that may be uh one of the busiest categories that's a lot of years but- though <laughs> <laughs> that is true we'll, t- we'll that- tighten it up later <laughs> that's right uh speaking of we have american revolution to up until uh world war ii and I'll start. I've got none but heroes, which we've talked about. We've ranked, and I miss playing it. Um, the only complaint I have with the line of battle system, which none but heroes is based off of, none but heroes is designed by Dean Essig and published by MMP. Um, it's you go, I go, and it's a lot of forces. It's the same problem with OCS. OCS is pretty damn near perfect in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But when you have four or five hour turns or two or yeah. three hour turns, it, it's just a grind. Sure. Yeah. It can be a chore to play. And it's, I mean, it, it's a fun chore, but you can't take away the fact that, yeah, there's, there's, there's a certain quality to having a lightness of a game too. So, you know, not every, not every good game is a heavy game. For sure. I should add that just real quick number here is, uh, covers the battle of Antietam. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to ask someone, like, maybe if you're like, hey, let's play this all day, and you know that, but we were doing Vassal, and we were playing, like, Sunday afternoons. Uh, if you were doing this as an evening game, it'd be a really hard sell, like, hey, let's play None But Heroes. Great. I'm going to take my turn all night, and you're really not going to do anything other than take casualties. Yeah. I'm about to jump into OCS Korea with someone, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to go online. Yeah, I mean, well, but so, like, I think you could play a smaller scenario and go really well. Yeah, like we're going to play Chosun. Oh, nice. Which I'm just, I'm that. fascinated by Chosun, so. Oh, who isn't? It's one yeah. of my favorite stories. <laughs> Have you ro- read, um... Yeah, when I when I was in the Navy, I mean, you know, we, Navy Marine Corps together, they told us so many stories about Chosun, and they were all amazing. Some of them might even have been true. <laughs> On on Desperate Ground by Hampton, okay. si- Hampton Sides. Highly recommend it before you go into that. Check it out. Will do. Um, oh, man. Now, now I'm all fired up about Chosen. Like, <laughs> there are so many things I want to do with Korea that I never do, including 
play OCS Korea, Paul. If you're listening, maybe you should recircle <laughs> back to our game. That's like three years old, and we've only played twice. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, uh, Number Heroes is fantastic. Line of Battle is fantastic. I think it misses out on having some of those smaller scenarios. It, it does have some some smaller ones. Um, but, um, you know, the thing that GCACW has going forward is different activations. And so we've got a crossover here. And we'll transition into GCACW. Atlanta is ours. Yeah, absolutely. I'm at the point now where, like, you know, you always get to a point where you're like putting a game away and you want to decide what goes on the table next. And there's so many that I want to play. I really want to get an OCS, BCS. There's, you know, uh, uh, BAR, all these games that I've got on my shelf that I want to play sometime the first time, sometimes want to play more of. But 100% of the time, when I'm thinking of what to play next, Atlanta is ours is on the list. Yeah. I mean, I would say the same thing other than I would just substitute GCACW just because Atlanta ours isn't my favorite. Yeah. Uh, well, the, I've only got two. I've got that one, and I've got the Rose to Gettysburg, and I like Atlanta's ours better. So. What? Then more, more than Rose to Gettysburg? I do. Um I haven't played the other scenarios in Road to, Gets- Road to Gettysburg. Road to Gettysburg I like a lot. There's just something that I really enjoy about Lanazars. I'm not entirely sure what it is. I think I think part of it is the shape of the map. I think part of it ah. is um, just this. It's it's just like an elongated siege. Gettysburg is more of a find each other and come to contact. And I don't know. There's just a lot of little things about Lanazars that I really love. I think part of it is that I've never really been to Gettysburg, whereas the stretch of Atlanta that this battle takes place on, you know, every time we drive to Florida, we drive through there. So, like, I know all those town names and everything. And that's that's fair enough. I think that's one of the reasons why I like Civil War history so much in general is because of the... Yep recognize a bill familiarity is what the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. uh let's back up just real quick so uh great paint great campaigns in the american civil war specifically atlanta czars is the game we're talking about is a game series and game from multi-man publishing um it's been around since 1992 in several different versions uh, multi-man publishing is doing a great job with the recent stuff um roads gettysburg battle above the clouds elena's ours all great games uh it's operational civil war and it's varying activations you don't activate your entire army at once you roll dice and you activate a subsection of that army and um you kind of roll for movement points uh which sounds crappy but it works out with the civil war because it um you know that that portrays so many different things I don't know if, uh, I mean, they're just great games. Every yeah. game of GCACW I've played has been fantastic. Yeah. I don't know when they're going to, the the one that we played last year on our online Donkey Kong, the, the first, first foray into, yeah, onto Richmond, that one, I can't wait till that gets published because that's going to be fun. Um, but that one almost, almost plays more like a solo game because it's, it is very unbalanced in some ways, um, and I'm fine with that. I even played the the I played the Union, who just got completely stomped by Lee, um, but that's fine. It was still fun. Where and yeah, I do. You were talking about how you like Road to Gettysburg better. That one's probably a better balanced game. Atlanta's ours is going to be a one sided push all the way across, but um, maybe that's another thing I like about it is playing solo. It's very easy to just you know keep pushing. 
it sounds like to me you're talking about the campaign games, which we should mention. Yes, the, yes. These games come with big campaign games with advanced rules. Mm-hmm. In the box, there's also dozens of, gosh, I've played like two-hour scenarios. Or there's like an Antietam scenario that does the whole battle of Antietam in uh, like four hours or however long. I don't remember how long it took us. But uh, if you go pick up a GCACW game, you're not like committing to this massive Atlanta campaign. You can just do a small battle or... Um, they're very approachable is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know if I would say I would disagree with that though. Um, I definitely have a different point of view on that. Um, the GCACW games, I think the, the level of gaming experience you're going to get between a campaign, even a shorter campaign, you know, 20 turns or something over a, a four to six turn game, um, is completely different because the whole point of the game is having to manage fatigue. And in a short scenario, you don't have to manage fatigue. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there because you should play the Antietam scenario out okay. of I haven't played that one, so because I'll do that. the union already starts fatigued. That makes sense. And it's a rush to like as the Confederates are bringing forces up you know, to get across the creek and stuff before they really dig in. Yeah. So I think it depends because I, I, you are right. I have played somewhere. It's just kind of a maneuver around your opponent and get to this hex. Mm-hmm. So there are probably some scenarios that are far better. It's probably a little like ASL. Some are probably better than, than others. Yep. Uh, but I think we'd both agree it is a fantastic system. Personally, I can't wait for. So Hood Strikes North and Stonewall Jackson's Way 2 are what are on the... Uh, agenda i believe after that is supposed to be the reprint of a box set that includes grant takes command which is what i which is grant's overland campaign um in virginia and that's what i that's what i'm really looking forward to that one would be fun to put with onto richmond because it's the same map but you know two three four years apart however long it was yeah uh, all right. What else you got from Amrev to pre-World War II? Uh, just one that was actually another one published this year, All Bridges Burning. So the latest in the coin series, coin games uh, by originally designed by Volko. He's got basically like a generic credit on this one, but he's not the, like the lead designer on this one. It's a three player coin game set uh, during the Finnish revolution of 1919, 1920. Um, I, I have a closeness in my heart to the coin games. They were once I started getting into war games, I played them a lot. And I, for a while, any coin game was just an instant buy for me. And this is probably going to be the last coin game I buy. Um, but I like this one. I'm not. I don't want to sell this one. I want to keep this one. But just going forward, unless there's some very specific thing in coin that really looks like it's new and fascinating to me. Um, I think I've just seen what coin can do and I'm fine with that. I've started selling off some of my coin games. I'm going to keep some of my favorite ones. Um, but yeah, I like coin and I like this game. Um, but I said all along, I said, even before I bought this one, this might be the last coin game that I ever buy. And I think it is, but one of the cool things about it is the only, it's the only three player coin game. So that is interesting in and of itself. And it's still a great game to take like to your our you know a monthly game day. Three people can sit down. If you know the coin system, you don't even need to read the rules. You'll just need to you know look over the little intricacies. And three people can sit down and play this game in two or three hours, no problem. 
I will play any coin game once. <laughs> yeah. At least. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I've I've talked yeah. about coin so much. We should probably rank some coin. Um I think it would be interesting on here because I'm I'm very bitter about certain coin games. I'm also a big fan of certain coin. Well, I yeah. wouldn't say a big fan. Um, I mean, I think if so I, I would strip play it this. down to like Falling Sky, uh Fire in the Lake, All Bridges Burning, and Colonial Twilight. I think those are the four that I want to hold on to. Everything else what about, I can let go. Did I ask you about space last time? I don't remember. What about space? I don't know. Seems like we've talked about it. I'm not interested. Really? Wow. I don't know why. I'm just not. I mean, if someone else hmm. brings it, I'll play it. But I'm not just, it doesn't doesn't raise any. What about like other, and we, we have a sci-fi category, but there's not a whole lot of stuff in it this year. Um, is, that a, is that a coin thing? Or is that just a, you're not so interested in like, like what about space empires? Is that? You mean like why haven't I played those this year? No, 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 no. Like are those things you're interested in, or is it like oh, a yeah, sci-fi definitely. war game? Oh, okay. Definitely. I mean, there's there's some stuff coming out. Uh, you know, we talked about on our on the other podcast, Renegade Legion. Definitely looks interesting too. Oh me. yeah. Um, Twilight Imperium is one of my all-time favorite games. Um, so yeah, yeah. There, I think, um, I think history is always going to be a tiebreaker for me, and because there's no sci-fi future history, uh, you know two games that are exactly the same i'll probably take the historical one instead but that doesn't mean that i'm not interested in sci-fi fantasy either fair enough uh have you played or acquired the new twilight imperium expansion yet i have not and i'm not sure that i will um because it's 80 bucks for i mean there's a lot in it it's what 10 12 new factions or something but there's already 17 in the original box and but max yeah, that's true. But TI4 is, as much as I love it, if I play that four times a year, I'd probably consider that to be lucky, more likely. That's a game that I'm probably going to play twice a year. So at twice a year, I don't know that I need all the more all the new stuff. So that at twice said, a year? That said, I'm, I'm probably going to get it, but I haven't. Uh, yeah, right. I'm probably going to get it, and I have played TI3 and TI4 once in the last... <laughs> Well, since I've been in the hobby, uh, yeah. since I first started playing Chaosal when I was still in law school, which is a bonkers game, yeah. we played it once. It was great. Uh, and then I sold my copy and I rebought TI4. Um, if I was playing twice a year, I would buy the shit out of that expansion. Yeah. See, the you're thing getting, is, though, If you're playing I, twice, Richard, you're getting way more out of the game than I would say most people who own that game. Yeah. And obviously, I didn't this year, but sure. in a normal year, I think twice a year for TI4 is probably normal for me. I was actually just talking to a friend of mine that I haven't seen in months. He's a local guy, but I just don't see him anymore for obvious reasons. <laughs> I asked him. He was asking me the same thing, and uh, I said, yeah, I really want to play it sometime. He's like, well, I've played it four times. <laughs> wow. He has very different ideas about lockdowns than I do, which is why I haven't seen him. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I guess part of it too is, so let's say I go out and I buy it right now and I spend the 80, 90 bucks. The next time I play TI4, I'm probably not going to use it anyway. I'm probably just going to sure. stick with the old one. Maybe the time after that. So I don't know. We'll see. If it was in stock anywhere, I probably would have bought it by now, even though I haven't even, I've taken the shrink off my new copy. It's yeah. on my new shelves. My new shelves are up. We'll get to that later. I was at Miniature Market a couple weeks before Christmas, and they had like 20 boxes of it piled wow. up right at the door. But I don't know yeah. if it's You can't there find it. That's huh. At least that's what it seems like to me. Uh, well, great. 
with that TI4 discussion, we'll wrap up our AMREV to pre-World War II uh, era. And uh, this is where I would normally insert uh, the Ardwolf clip, but I lost that. Uh, so what I thought I'd do is we got an email from Bryant. Bryant is a new war gamer. Welcome, Bryant. And Excellent. he's got a background that's not too different from the me- from me. Uh, he started off playing board games, uh, got into medium and heavy Euro games, which is kind of what I did too. And then uh, and he wants to jump into 18xx eventually. And then uh, he started like consuming a whole bunch of historical media over COVID and that led him to buy war games and so he bought some GMT games he bought some coin games won't say anything about that uh but he also Mm -hmm. bought into commands and colors and he bought commands and colors napoleonics and it's excellent and you know what I agree wholeheartedly I think the commands and colors system games that do more like more than memoir I like memoir but like ancients and what I've heard about Napoleonics offer like they really feel like a war game. And I'm not saying memoir is not, um, but good. Uh, I think commanding colors is a great system to jump into. It was, it was my first war game. Yep. And it was one of my early ones. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to, I actually want to play Napoleonics and my ancients are stickered and I want to play with my wife because she's actually a huge, uh, Napoleonics fan. So, uh Brian, tiebreaker I, goes to the one that's already stickered <laughs> yeah right exactly so we played memoir because there's no stickering <laughs> i said he wants to check out uh brian train's designs he wants to check out a distant plane which i have not played i that is a coin game i would like to play a lot um i don't know yeah. i'm kind of like over the last few weeks or a month or so uh i'm a little bit on back on my uh afghanistan kick so uh so Probably won't talk about it tonight because I don't think I started playing it till 2021, but I've been playing Labyrinth. Not, okay, so yeah. I have two on, on Steam? Yeah, and, and I've got it. Someone gave it to me. Krampus gave it to me for Christmas. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I have won one and lost one on Steam. Um, I'm still trying. There's some things I still don't uh, understand. He also he wants to check out 1775 Rebellion. Um, here's what I'll tell you about 1775 Rebellion. I'm not going to knock that. But you may want to look into 1840. What's that game called? Are those the Academy game series? They are. Okay. If, uh, look, there's there's nothing I've wrong with the 1775. Vikings one I've heard the Vikings one is good. I've not played the Vikings one. I think the 1812 and I think it's 1754. I just think they offer a little bit more than 1775. Yeah. Um, so unless your soul, unless you really want the American Revolution, Brian, and I'm not knocking what you're interested in here, uh, I just did a bunch of research in those games because they were also uh, an early war game for me, and I love those games. I love the victory conditions, like how the games end. They're very fun, light war games. Um, just check out those other two. Don't write them off. So yeah. thank you, Brian. I hope uh, I hope you continue to explore uh, new games in 2021. Yeah. Ask questions, talk to people, get get a local group. Obviously, can't can't say it enough. We know what happened last year, but this year things will start to change. And yeah, find local people. Um, I find that I, you and I both sort of run a local war, war game group, Matt. And you probably get the same questions I do. But sometimes we get questions from newbies, and um, there seems to be a sort of hesitance. Or like, yeah, I saw you guys playing there, and I didn't really want to bother you. And yeah, bother those people because right. seriously, they these guys like Matt and I and all the other people playing 
at, at miniature market on a Saturday afternoon, they want to play these games and they want people to play <laughs> them with. So yeah, no, nobody is going to get upset because you don't know the rules. Um, if you come into it with a good attitude, we would love to play with you. Uh, yeah, we just want people to play with, so yeah. please talk to us, because <laughs> no one else is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, should we go forward to World War II? Absolutely. Always a good category. All right. Uh, we talked about it. It was a featured game. Tell me about Empire of the Sun. Empire of the Sun. So Mark Kerman game, another card-driven game, uh, big Pacific you know, whether you want to call it strategic or grand operational or whatever. Uh, but the entire Pacific War from Pearl Harbor all the way to the, the fall of Japan in 45. Great game. Um, I want to play it more. Uh, this is actually one that I will probably play a lot more on Vassal than I ever will on Cardboard because it's it may be the best Vassal module I've ever seen. Uh, great Vassal module for a great game. Um, it's really cool. It's got, you know, it shows where your air coverage is, which is really, really important in that game because it determines supply lines and all that other stuff and whether your units can react to the cards that the other guys play and everything. Um, so I haven't actually played it in probably the last half of the year, but it's it's another one. It sits on my shelf, and I think I should get that one out and play it again because that was a lot of fun. That's like everything on my shelf, though. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's rough. Uh, I'll cut in here and just real quick talk about ATS because uh, Advanced Brook System, which is another World War II tactical game, uh, I played this the same weekend I played Armored Christian Soldiers. And uh, basically what I've limited myself to is ASL. Yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much buy anything that MMP puts out for ASL. For ATS, I'm, I'm basically just limiting my stuff to post-World War II. Um, it does a lot of things differently and it's very fun and it's got alternating activations which um based off what i said of like none but heroes um that's something i'm enjoying more and more uh i want to play it more i wish like if you think the baggage and bs of buying into asl is a lot <laughs> it doesn't even like get close to ATS and I think they're redoing the rules and introducing some <laughs> new BS rules it's like why is this happening like why is it so hard why don't you want people to play your game is really the question I would ask uh, but that's advanced to Brook system which is one of my favorite World War II things I've played this year uh, which I'm cheating here because actually I played I'm just now realizing that I put this in World War II but I played uh Bim Fu so I guess there's that. Which one? Uh, go ahead. Wh which DMBN Foo game did you play? The ATS DMBN Foo. Oh, oh, ATS. Okay, God. I thought yeah, you were yeah. talking about a different one. Okay. No, I DMBN Foo. Yeah, I've got Foo a DMBN Foo game on... on my shelf that, again, I haven't played yet, but I'm, I Gosh, want to get that out sometime, the Le so. The Legion War Games one? Yep, that one. Yeah, that has been, that is like now the like longest reigning I've got to play this game, which was None But Heroes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, ATS, ATS is great. I, I think if you're solidly into a tactical system, do you need to bring, like, does it do enough that you need to branch into it? No, I don't think so. Like, if you're good with ASL, just stick with ASL. Uh, but I'm a glutton for punishment, and I have severe FOMO, and I don't want to miss out on anything. So uh, ATS is in, and... That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. All right. You're up. Uh, so a couple, I keep, I said at the beginning, there weren't that many uh, 
that I had that were published in 2020, but now I've got two more. Uh, so Jaws of Victory by New England Simulations. I'm pretty sure that game was actually published in 2020. I might be wrong about that. If not, it was new to me in 2020 anyway. And then also Hungarian Rhapsody, the latest OCS game from MMP. Uh, both of those games I played, World War II era, great games, both of them. Um, a lot of similarities and some very key differences that make them feel very different. Uh, Jaws of Victory, as far as scale and complexity and how you feel playing it, fits right in with the OCS series. So if you like OCS, you'll probably will enjoy it. Um, I guess one, maybe only the negative to it is that Jaws of Victory is not a system game, so you kind of have to learn everything just for this one game. Whereas in OCS, once you know one of the games, you've got a head start on all of them. So uh, different games. Jaws of Victory is an Eastern Front game. Actually, they're both late Eastern Front games. Uh, Jaws of Victory is the the Corson Cherkasy pocket. Hungarian Rhapsody is the uh, the Russian Russians sweeping through Hungary into the the Battle of uh, Budapest. So. Um, played them both. If I had to rank them, I'd say Hungarian Rhapsody I like more. Um, probably for the, the reasons I said. One is that it's a system game which gives you, uh, you know, how many OCS games are there? A dozen? Something like that. So you've got a sure. head start on playing all those great games as well. Um, Jaws of Victory does have some really interesting, cool mechanics, though. And as far as supply, Jaws of Victory is a little bit lighter than OCS, which is not necessarily good or bad, just different. Um, I, I definitely, at some point in the future, we'll talk a lot more about Jaws of Victory because um, there's a lot to talk about in that game. But both of those games were, were new games to me this year that I enjoyed quite a bit. And I'm sure in the future we'll also talk about Hungarian Rhapsody as well. I would not be surprised. I guess we never did a, yeah, we never made that a featured game, did we? No, you, no. You and I have to jump into an OCS game this year. We'll we pick one and we'll play it together, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we have a couple OCS on there, but uh, yeah, I want to play Hungarian Rhapsody. Um, the other thing, I'll, uh, Axis Empire is a game we talked about a lot this year because I played the pants off of it this year. It started as a face-to-face game at the uh, just before the coronavirus started. We paused. Uh, we restarted on Vassal as a three-player game, and uh, recently, gosh, I say recently for like the last five months, uh, we've been doing a combined game of both Axis Empires Dicenso, which is the Pacific Theater, and Axis Empires Totalerkrieg, uh, both from Decision Games. Uh, really good games. Um, the combat isn't as satisfactory as I like. I want. Um, and let me let me. I guess maybe the menu. I don't know. I like the games. I just they're not as. Like, I've been playing them for a year, and I think it's I've seen a lot of the tricks. Yeah, and you've played several, like you've started and stopped several times, like actually new games, right? How many how many times have you played, do you think? Three or four? Th- three, just three. Three, okay. Um, and so, like, the trick is it's a sandbox, and so, like, you can activate this country as an Axis or an allied country, and you can play all these different cards. You have, I don't know, 60, 70 different cards that you can play at different times. Uh, to do cool new things, and there's all these random tables, and all these bonkers things can start, and war can start in 1937, or war can get delayed out for years and years and years, or, you know, like, Hopei can take 40 freaking turns to fall before the Japanese finally conquer it, but I'm not bitter about that, Uh, (laughs) and so that's cool, but, like, I don't know 
how much more of that I see because I don't know how big the impact is. Like, yeah, it's cool. Like, uh, Finland joins the U S the, the Western allies, you know, but like, does that really impact the game? Yeah. For a lot of those countries, probably not. I kind of ran into that with unconditional surrender because you'd get a political victory. Like, yes, Finland's on our side now, or Turkey just joined the allies or whatever. And you think, great, we just opened up another front against Russia. But what really happens then is when they join, Russia gets basically freebie units that they weren't going to have otherwise, and they get to immediately put them on that Turkish border, for example. At which point, the Turkish army is not really enough to overrun them, so it just ends up being a a stalemate on a new front anyway. Yeah, and I I say this, and you you think I'm poo-pooing on the game, but I I really do enjoy it. Oh, I feel the same um, way about USC, but yes, I I know what you mean. um, And obviously, I've been playing it for a year, so it must be good, or I would have dropped out by now, and I bet (laughs) if someone asked, I'd, I'd probably cycle back up, maybe take a breather in between. Um, I'm really enjoying playing as Japan. What's interesting on the on the Pacific side is the movement factor for basically everything is one. Um, so you really inch around on that map, um, which isn't necessarily the case on the European side. Um, I'll be curious to see what the 2021 edition looks like. I know a lot of people who are buying into the 2021 edition. I It sounds like it's going to add some really... Cool and that one is com- that one is just a combined game, right? I mean, that you could probably play half and half, game. but it's sold as a combined game. That's right. Okay. And so it's it's a pretty steep price point. For for me, I'm I have decided not to get it for the time being. Would I play it? Absolutely. But um, yeah, so that's Axis Empires. We've talked about it a lot in the show. We had a featured episode on it. I don't really need to say anything here. Again, it sounds like I'm poo-pooing it, but uh, it's one of my favorite things I've done all year. I've done it um, bi-weekly f- since basically March, uh, and it's been really fun. Um, some bonker things has happened, and it's played with a great group of guys that you know um, give each other a hard time and just have a good time. So that's Axis Empires. Cool. All right, let's talk about best post-World War II, so modern or third World War stuff. Um, I'll start since I've got uh, more than you here. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about Speed of Heat, which I've only played the training scenario of, but Speed of Heat, like, why is that on your best of list if you've hardly played it? Like, that introduced me to learning more about jet aircraft and uh, fighter pilots, in, like, more than I, I've ever had any interest in. Uh, I've learned more about jet aircraft than I ever have before. I'm reading this really great book that I basically pick up and put down and just read it in chunks while I read other things called Clashes uh, by Marshall L. Michelle III. Very good, very detailed book. Um, This is a very detailed aircraft game um, put out by, I guess, Clash of Arms? I don't remember anymore. Uh, But it's called Speed of Heat. And you track everything, like you're tracking G-Force and... Uh, it's good. It's really good. I think it's really detailed. I really appreciate it that, that it takes a systematic approach in teaching you the game. Like, all right, we're going to stop here, go do this training scenario where you'll learn how to basically fly a figure eight and learn about G-Force and all this stuff. And then next time we're going to learn about uh, changing elevation. And mm-hmm. then we're going to learn about combat. And all, and it, it does it in a really good way. I know some other games that do that, but it works here. 
I really like it. I want to play um, this and the um, the related game uh, with like Wings of the Motherland and Buffalo Wings. What's mm-hmm. it called? Wait, yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, I know Wings of the Motherland is the your, and that's New England Simulations also, right? Same as no, it's Jaws Clash Victor. of Arms. The oh, Clash of the Arms. Whole, I knew I knew the, it was a company we had talked about. All right. The system is designed by JD Webster. So, uh, Air Power is the um, uh, jet jet fighters and stuff. So, like post World War II, and then he's got uh, Fighting Wings would be Wings of the Motherland, uh, Buffalo Wings, which is a recent Kickstarter kind of like a learner game. I really want to get more of these in 2021 for sure. Uh, I'll go real quick and then you'll go. Um, Next War Vietnam. Have you uh, played it yet? Obviously, you played I have. a little bit, yes. but like uh, more than just push encounters around. Yeah, so I've I've now set up a, another scenario beyond the DMBM view, which is uh, which is really just kind of a, a fun push your push your stuff around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't know what to say. Like more, the, there are new things in in Next War, um, like new series rules in in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just more of something that's really good. And so there appears to be, from what I see, great scenarios. Um, I'm back into the advanced game. I forget what he calls the different rules. Oh, man, I need a drink because I'm Series I'm specific? No, no. Like, I think one's called standard, one's called advanced. I, oh, I don't yeah, remember what yeah. advanced called. No, you're right. You're right. Standard um, advanced. So this is really my first time diving into the naval rules, which I'm really excited about diving into more. Yeah, that's all that's all new to me. And then I, the I coolest thing, a little bit in Poland and also Korea. Yeah, so I haven't I haven't gotten into those games, but this offers the China trilogy, which you can take Korea and Taiwan, which is just bonkers, Absolutely. and combine it with Vietnam and do a giant game. That's good. It's it's more good next war stuff. Is what I'll say, and this is a reprint. This is the most recent game in the Next War series. I know uh, Taiwan got reprinted, right? Or Korea got reprinted this year, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you know, I'm I'm kind of asking myself for the last few months, like, how much OCS do I need? And I think the answer is as long as I find it interesting. And Next War, same kind of thing. Like, how much Next War do I need? And I think it's as long as I find the conflicts interesting. Then, I mean, needs not the word, but how much do I want? Right. Um, so I'll be interested to see where the series goes. I think he's working on Next War Poland 2 is going to be hmm. his next thing. And see, so there there I fade a little bit because yeah. Poland's not really my uh, right. my jam. Yeah. Yeah, I so think he's looking on a, a redo of Poland. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about Next War. I know you like the series, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And, like... It, it's it's not like my top of the favorite of the year just because I haven't played enough, but I'm really excited to have everything out. And then um, once my wife and I play some new games on the new table, which should be delivered very soon, <laughs> I will transition this onto from a folding table onto the new table and take some great pictures and play some Vietnam. Nice. I got to get that out there too. Um, yeah, I I got I got it in the mail. It's I guess it's probably been two months now, and it's still in the box. But mo- because I was I was pretty heavy into Jaws of Victory for a while, and then we hit the holidays and everything else, so just haven't had time for it yet. 
Yeah, I mean, really for me, it's I need to give more time to next war. And I think really what I need to do is just find a dedicated opponent because I had started to replay India Pakistan and that game fell apart. Yeah. And so I really need to go with like either Korea second edition, Poland, Taiwan, or Vietnam. Really something other than India Pakistan and get some opposed um advanced scenarios going to Yeah. Korea's a lot so of fun. Much in the game. Just the invasion scenario in Korea is a lot of fun. India Pakistan is fun too and it's easier to get on the table because smaller maps so right and i've played a lot of india pakistan because for that exact reason mm-hmm. and uh, no naval so yeah, rules i will uh yeah no naval rules and i'll report back on those naval rules um <laughs> good uh what about you for post-world war ii stuff yeah i think the only one i can remember this year was silver bayonet which you know we talked about earlier in the year but another mitchell land game um his uh uh, it's, it's Vietnam war, not, not next war Vietnam, but, uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, the map is, is beautiful. It's got really cool hidden movement, which I still have not been able to play against another person with the <laughs> hidden movement rules. So, Same. um, I was really trying to twist my daughter's arm, get her to play it with me, but she showed no interest. So I guess we'll play Catan again. Um, <laughs> I'm not better. Uh, so yeah, I really, really, really want to play that against another person because the hidden movement, anything with hidden movement, I just absolutely love. And there's a lot of games that do it in different ways. And, um, this one appears to do it really well, but it's hard to know until you have another person push encounters. I agree. I really need to see those, those rules. I think we have it marked to reevaluate the ranking when Mm -hmm. we both play opposed. Yeah. Uh, Great game. Uh, I started that. I played that last year for or, uh, 2019 for the first time. Uh, but the campaign was new to me this year. Uh, great stuff. I hope we get more out of that system for sure. Uh, so I've got one more, and that is Seventh Fleet. And I think we talked about the la- this last time because I bought mm-hmm. Second Fleet fairly yeah. recently. Uh, the Fleet series is an amazing series of games. I played this in February. And the more I think back to it, it's like there's so much cool stuff going on with these different phases with subs and and the aircraft rules are like you're moving them between maps and it's kind of a pain in the ass to keep track of which planes are doing what. But it's so uh, rewarding as you're running these ship strikes and um, like I didn't even really get into the anti-sub stuff that I remember, but... um, really piqued my interest in naval warfare and it was such a great day spent just playing pushing boats around in an ocean and doing cool shit i really want to play more fleet series i understand why it's such a loved series now um now, I hope do you, Compass do you does play that one solitaire can you do you is like is that how you're currently playing or no, no, no. I played Seventh Fleet in a four-player game, okay, and we okay. kind of broke the fleet up. Okay. Um, yeah, because I've heard that that's one that doesn't do very well solitaire. So. Yeah. No, I've not. I haven't really opened up Second Fleet other than just to look at it when it when it came in. Um. Now, like, the scenario we were playing took all day, and we didn't finish. So. I think the estimated time is probably not accurate for this game, although there are some smaller scenarios, but I don't think we picked the biggest one. What's it say um, on BGG? 
120 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two hours. So, um, I really I want to do more boat stuff. I I want to be on boats. Yeah. And yeah, the I love good naval fantastic. stuff. It's hard to uh, naval rules are hard to do though. I mean, you almost because. Uh, just the way naval warfare works, you know, a lot of, especially modern naval warfare, it's you find them and then they're dead. Hopefully that's kind of the way it's supposed to work. So you, you don't get found and you survive, but that makes a boring game when no one knows where the other one is. And as soon as someone finds someone, they die. Yeah. So like, you know, in this, but you need to detect them. Yeah. It's kind of how that's modeled here. Yeah. And it, I think, well, I think it works well. No, no, I'm just saying it's a hard way. I'm, I'm, I haven't played the game at all. I'm fascinated by it, but I'm just saying I think that's the reason we don't see maybe as many naval warfare games is because that's a hard thing to model and make it fun. Yeah, you know, I've got that Blue Water Navy, and yeah. I, that's another thing I really want to play. Um, I still need to read that um, Tom Clancy book. Which one? Isn't... I think Blue Water Navy isn't influenced by it, but um, what's the one that you talked about with Red Storm? Uh, the Hunt for Red October? No, 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 no. Red for Phoenix? Your airpl- or... For your airplane game when you talked with, uh, oh my gosh, I want to say Jeb Bush, but that's not right. Doug Bush. Um, well, Red Storm Rising. Yeah, Red Storm Rising. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I think somewhere I saw that that's like a book you should read with blue water navy as well but it could be wrong yeah that would make sense yeah i reread it yeah and i had kind of forgotten that it was mostly a naval book yeah okay i haven't read it yet but i think i um we've got a couple uh a couple war game categories left uh but let's take a break um i'm gonna sober up and we'll hear from mark johnson of war games to go with his best of 2020 Hi, Matt and Rich. This is Mark Johnson of the War Games To Go podcast, sharing my thoughts about what I think was the best of something for 2020. I guess let's say best of wargaming for me in 2020. And like everyone else, it wasn't a great year for much of anything, really. And my wargaming, even though it's mostly solo, still took a hit just because it wasn't much fun this whole year. But uh, there were some bright spots for sure. I did a little vassal and online wargaming with my buddy Rick. Um, and in terms of a game I had the most fun with, I think it's actually, although I'm going to talk about magazine war games here in a sec, um, or war game magazines, uh, the close cousin of that are the little folio print and play games. So Red Menace is one I had a good time with this summer uh, about the pre-ICBM uh, threat of nuclear war as viewed through the perception of the bomber gap rather than the real bomber gap. There wasn't that much of a gap um, between the East and the West. So I had a good time with that. But I think my lifeblood really has been War Game Magazines. I just got today C3I with Battle for Kursk is inside that one. I ordered Panzer Shrek, uh, the new one. It's going to have Charge of the Light Brigade, Gunfight at the OK Corral, and the the Fall of Rome, like that's Ernst Rome in there. Got Ve Victus on the way. That's an Angola 1987-88 game. And then during the middle of the year, Battles Mag came out with Storm Over Madrid. So Love those uh, war game magazines. Magazines with war games inside them tend to be smaller. My kind of thing. Thanks, guys, and appreciate the podcast. All right. Thank you, Mark, for submitting your list. Uh, Mark's like one of the first war game podcasts I, I got into. Um, as he said, just 
a lot of solo gaming, but small footprint games. Um, I don't think Mark's one for like OCS or anything like that. Uh, Rich, we got a couple categories left, but not a whole bunch of games in it. Uh, sci-fi fantasy war games. Did you play anything like that this year? Yeah, I wish I had. Like I mean, the biggest, like we said earlier, the biggest sci-fi game that I play is TI4, and I didn't get to play that last year. So other than that, I can't think of many sci-fi games that I even own. Um, and again, it's not that I don't want to play them. They just don't seem to gravitate to me. Uh, so the only thing in this category, I now I bought some and received as gifts some sci-fi games that I hope to talk about. And uh, But the only one I'm going to put in this category is Dune, which really most would probably fall under not a war game for most people. But here we are. It's 2020, so anything goes. Um, <laughs> Dune's really good. It's uh, Have you ever played Cosmic Encounter? No. Okay, Cosmic Encounter is all this game about, like, backstabbing and convincing people to help you out to, like, invade this planet and attack people. And it's all about negotiation and basically screwing each other over. Uh, Dune's basically the same thing. Not the same type of gameplay, but negotiation, screwing people over, trying to win these battles and and dominate the planet of Arrakis. Uh, But it's so much better than um, Cosmic Encounter. Completely different gameplay styles, just in, in terms of, like, Screw you, negotiation games. I need to use you to further my goal. Dune is very good. And I think it feels very much like Dune. The 2019 reprint from Gale Force 9 is very well done. I like all of the components. Um, And when face-to-face gaming comes back, I cannot wait to get this back to the table with the full allotment of six people I've only played on um, Tabletop Simulator. It is good. Cool. That's all I've got for sci-fi, though. Pretty weak year for sci-fi for me. I did get a copy of Dragon Pass, which I can't wait to play. I think we've talked about how I really want to play some of those old school fantasy games. Is that the old one? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, So hopefully in uh, 2021. Cool. Uh, And then real real quick, our last uh, war game topic, I think, is going to be just magazine small footprint games. I can't believe you didn't list your little postcard game from your own podcast. I just got that in the mail like two days ago. I barely looked at it. It's been a busy week. I have not played it yet, um, but I was like, oh, I should play that before the end of the year, and I didn't. Yeah. Sorry, No, Adam. I did not. I don't think I even received that in 2020, so it didn't count. Oh, <laughs> uh, So Chance of Gaming sent out a little uh, postcard war game card, which is super cool, and they reached out and uh, found a publisher. I don't remember who you guys went through, and I got a little postcard with a war game on it. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea by Adam, and yeah, I, I will I will take a look at it. Just like I said, it's been a busy week. So in the in the magazine small postcard de- department, uh, just one this year, and that's White Eagle Defiant. Um, we're fans of Brave Little Belgium. I think both of us are. Oh yeah. Um, and this is very much in that same vein. Um, do I think you need both? No, I don't think so. I think it just depends on what you find more interesting. Um, the invasion of Belgium in World War One, or uh, Poland. Um, there's some new rules, some new like chit, special chip power activations as you, as you draw chits. Um, it's a good game. Um, I'm curious to see what they do next. Because, you know, where I'm okay with several next war games or OCS games, like those games are deep enough um, and 
different enough. Like, I think I need the next one to be a little bit different, which isn't a, a criticism well, of this game. The next one like, is I don't know how. futuristic, and it takes place inside the continental U.S., and it's like humans versus bugs or something like that. So it's going to be pretty different. And he says he's really excited about it. Pretty different theme-wise, but, like, mechanically is what I'm... Like, because... This played in, in my solo play. Like, I talked my wife into playing, and then we got the chits out, and I could just see it on her face. I was like, go watch TV. I'll, I'll play. So I played this. Um, well, I played this in an attempt to, like, get it talked about on the podcast, and then never did, and then we brought it back up out over Christmas. And I could just see on her face she had no interest. I was like, go go on, go watch TV. I'll, I'll play this solo. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think I, well, I know I did not get anything from Hollenspiel this winter on their sale. So even in smart, small games, there was, there was one I got from, uh, from Krampus, but I didn't get a chance to play it in 2020. So for 2020, I don't, I don't think I really played any small games. I think a lot of that is just because I was sitting here at home in front of my huge table. So I got out a lot of the big games that in, in another year I might not have time or space for. Yeah, we actually did get some... We played Dinosaur Table Battles. Oh, yeah? In that game, like, if you use a dino's power, all of their dice get wiped off the card. And when I read down the rules, I was like, that sucks. (laughs) But then, like, it worked in gameplay. Like, I was pretty grouchy and almost didn't play it. I was like, I don't like that. But then, like, it worked in gameplay. And it's a very simple game. Um, But very fun. And... Uh, talking about rules that I'm not crazy about, there is one thing I want to mention with White Eagle Defiant. One of my favorite things in Brave Little Belgium is pushing the atrocities, and that is completely <laughs> in the player's discretion. You remember yeah. that rule, like if you want to keep oh, sure. going as the Germans, yep, you risk atrocities. Which is really one of the ways to lose as the Germans. The Germans, it's tough to lose that game as the Germans, but atrocities will do it to you. Right, it, you lose if you don't get the chit draws, and then you depend on the atrocities. If right. you're getting good tri- chit draws, then you don't worry about it. Okay, so similar rules here, right? Basically, if there's German commands that haven't activated, you can roll, um, you need a three or less, a four or higher, and you go up on the Blitzkrieg breakdown marker. If the Blitzkrieg breakdown marker gets to five, it's game over, the Germans lose. Because you outran your fuel, basically? Yeah, I think it's just like a command breakdown. Yeah. And just the, I guess the Blitzkrieg doesn't work, I guess. As the rule is written, I read it that that's not a decision the player makes. It's like, okay, the turn's over, and let's say the German player has two commands that haven't activated. You roll commands for both of those players. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it. Uh, how I played it was that was my call. I think if you take a push your luck mechanic out of a player's hands, it loses its charm. Um, do I think it's a big deal? No, because I think you can just make it optional. But how I read it, I was like, oh, the German player is forced to push their luck. Yeah, I see what you mean. And I, I oh, right. So like, well, th- then that's not really fun. That's not a push your luck mechanic. Right. That's just a die, <laughs> a fifty fifty die roll yeah. in the game in five turns, right? Yeah. Um. And and I could have read the rule the rule wrong, but how I took it was all right. Each activation I'm rolling for, and then I changed that to like, well, I'm gonna make that my call and like say like, okay, these this command is gonna activate, but I'm not gonna roll on this other command. I'm not sure what their intent was. It's a little unclear. 
and I don't think it's a huge thing, but it was a little disappointing on first read through because my favorite thing in Brave Little Belgium is to push your luck. I think that's a cool thing to introduce into a war game. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man, we are we are cooking with gas, and <laughs> um, I need to get a drink because I sobered up. So let's hear from Joel from Turn Order Gaming. Hey, everybody, this is Joel from Turn Order Gaming. Happy New Year. I'm going to go over a couple of the games that I thought were pretty good during the year 2020. First up on the list, we've got Awari Deluxe Edition from Thundergriff Games. This was a Kickstarter I backed. Took a little longer to get to me than I wanted, but when I got it, I had a blast. I'm a big fan of area majority games. Uh, this was apparently a game, a remake of Web of Power, but I love this game. There's a lot of replayability. You've got to place totems. you got to place tents. you got to have the most in each region. And I really loved it. And they added a bunch of little add-ons to it with the Deluxe Edition. Totally would recommend anyone picking this game up if they're a fan of Area Majority. Next on the list, I've got On Mars. This was designed by Vita Lacerda himself, published by Eagle Griffin Games. On Mars was fantastic. This was just, it had the hexagonal board, it had the area majority, it has the worker placement, it has got all you want in a heavy euro, and it is going to melt your brain, but you're going to have a blast playing it. If you like heavy euros, absolutely pick up On Mars. Last on my list, but not least, I've actually got Curious Cargo. This is a two-player game from Ryan Courtney, the guy who made Pipeline, one of my favorite games of all time. Published by Capstone Games, this one... I wasn't really too sure of. I got it because I just love Pipeline. I was looking for something kind of like Pipeline, and it's not like Pipeline. It is really all you're doing is you're making the routes, but he's added so much to a two-player game. I was really surprised, and I really enjoyed it. I totally would recommend this to anyone wanting to play a heavy two-player game. You've got your route building with the conveyor tiles. You can stack on top of those like Mahjong style. And then you're sending trucks to the other people and receiving trucks. There's a lot going on, a lot to think about, and it is seriously a fun time. And that's all from me. Here's to an awesome 2021. All right, Rich, that's it. That's it for war games. Anything you want to say about the war game hobby before we start moving into like Euro games and train games and that stuff? Yeah, I mean, we've said it many times before, but... What a year for Valsol. What a year for electronic platforms. And it's going to be really interesting to see where these, where those go from here because um, obviously we're all itching to get back to face-to-face gaming. But being able to do face-to-face and also being able to have these great platforms for online and gaming hopefully just means more games will get played. So um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing my friends in person. And I'm looking for... I mean, there, there are people that I've had much closer friendships to um over the course of playing vassal games with them the last year that i've you know got to got to know better and and those will definitely continue so you know what's crazy rich is we only played two vassal games together this year so we played here i stand and last hundred yards right that was it oh three sorry i forgot about last hundred yards i was thinking we did u.s civil war right did we do u.s civil war didn't we do a small scenario real quick yeah maybe yeah maybe I thought we did. I know, yeah. Uh, which is a real shame. Uh, maybe we can fix that, and uh, or maybe we'll be meeting up in Columbia next year. Even better. Oh, even better. Well, everything to everything you said here, here, and I'll I'll drink to that. Um, here's the 2021. I really, um, I hope it's a turnaround year. I'm really looking forward to Historic Fest. I uh, I'm really optimistic. Trying to be optimistic with everything with the vaccine. We'll we'll see. Yeah. 
I expect that takes up. I'm even more optimistic about the Mega Millions drawing tonight, <laughs> um, so we can win some 500 million. Uh, great. Uh, let's talk about. So uh, for everyone else, we're going to talk about a couple of the game categories specific. We're going to talk about Euro games, train games. We're going to do a little bit of a, just a yearly recap thing, talk about goals for next year, talk about every war game ever list, and then we're going to kind of move away from the game stuff. This is going to be a long episode, folks, so... Uh, Get your drinks. If, you, if you're drinking, do a better job of pacing yourself than I am. Uh, so stick around. We're going to talk about a little bit about games yet, and then I'll let you know when you can uh, tune out if you're not into the other stuff. Uh, let's talk about Euro games. Rich, you didn't have any best of of... Well, there's non war game stuff. There was not. I did not purchase any 2020 Euro games, and I did not play anything new. Now we played lots, um, but the thing is, when I play a Euro game, it's probably going to be with my family, and they're probably going to want to play something they've already played. So, you know, if you look at my hours of gaming, Euro and family games, maybe not as much as war gaming, but it's it's definitely up there. Uh, it's just that we're we're playing kind of the same games that we've been playing for a few years now. So, fair enough. Uh, I will make this quick. Then I do have three this year. Let me talk about Crokinole. Crokinole was invented in eighteen some some eighteen whatever. Uh, it is fan fucking tastic. You're flicking discs and it works. And I'm so glad I spent the money on a Crokinole board. You can go fucking nutso and get like a two hundred dollar board, or you can just wait for. Mayfair or maybe Mayday, I don't even remember who makes it anymore, to do the Kickstarter. Uh, it's laminate, but it works. You just put some wax on there. I haven't waxed our board yet. I keep saying we're going to do it, but it works fine without the wax. Uh, it is a great dexterity game. I'm not a big dexterity game fan, but my wife and I have played the crap out of our board. Uh, I was really looking forward to like Christmas and Thanksgiving to intru- introducing it to family, and uh, that'll just happen next year. That's Crokinole. Uh, try to get a board for around 100 bucks. It is tons of family fun. Even like non, you could introduce this to your non-gamiest uh, friend and it's just fun. Here's some trivia for it. That game exists in the Star Wars universe. It's a, sli- it's a slightly different name. Like I, they changed a couple vowels or something, but it's in the Ahsoka book. Interesting because yeah. I, I, like, I don't think you have to pay Crokinole royalties anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like I think that's in the public domain now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was reading the Ahsoka book to my daughter, and they were talking about that game. So, I don't remember what it, it's very slight change to the name, but it, that's definitely the game they were playing. Interesting, interesting. Uh, one other thing, or two other things, real quick. Uh, Sherco Grand Slam Baseball. Uh, I played a lot of simulation baseball this year. I did a little bit of hockey, not as much as I wanted to. Sherco Grand Slam Baseball is one of my favorite sports simulations. Full stop. Not just baseball. It is fantastic. I wouldn't. Some people say it's the ASL of baseball gaming. I wouldn't go that far. It's not as detailed. It just offers some really cool shit in the advanced rules. Don't bother ordering a printed copy because all they do is just print it out on like slightly thicker paper and print it out and mail it to you. Just get the PDF copy, print it off on your own. Fantastic. Um, I know a guy, Duck. He is ran his own. Um, spreadsheet to like auto populate cards pulling statistics offline which is a cool thing if you're as into that kind of stuff as he is um, or you can buy the teams uh, great great simulation baseball game I want to play the pants off of that this year I can't wait <laughs> for baseball to start back up plus uh, Negro League statistics are officially part of MLB statistics now so I am hoping yeah I saw that that's cool 
We have, um, is it Shurko? Oh my gosh, I just like completely brain farted on the, not, not Shurko, uh, Stratomatic, wow. Uh, Stratomatic has Eagle Leagues Baseball, fantastic, I really like it, I'm glad I have both, I think Shurko is better. Uh, so hopefully with the statistics coming into uh, MLB, we'll get uh, Negro League teams for Shurko. I would love that. Uh, just a little bit more like tactile is the, the big difference between Shurko and uh, Stratomatic. Just, you know, you're moving more things around and, and probably making a few more decisions than uh, Stratomatic. Rich, I don't remember. Do you do you play sports sim games? Are you interested in sports sim games? I don't. Um, I thought about picking up a hockey one, but I haven't. Hockey Blast is great. I think, yeah. see, there again, I think I like Hockey Blast just a little bit more than Stratomatic Hockey. Yeah. We'll have to play it sometime. Yeah. As far as sports, I mean, hockey is far and away my favorite sport. Um, baseball, I'm I'm, I'm kind of a fair-weather Cardinals fan. Like, if the Cardinals are playing I'm, and they're good, I'm into it. But Cardinals have had a rough few years. Um, probably besides hockey, the, the only sport that I would watch with no rooting interest at all is football just because it's exciting to watch. But hockey's my favorite far and away. And Blues are one to know and currently playing again right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked tonight because the Kings play tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You no favoritism to uh, and the Jets are <laughs> off. Like even with the shortened season, they're off for uh, huh. a few days. Patrick Lining the such a weird schedule this year. It is. It's so bonkers. Uh he won the won in overtime for the Jets last night. Nice. Stud muffin. Um, all right. One of my favorite games of the year is something I played at the very tail end. Uh, like War Game, Euro Game, all of it together is Dune Imperium. This is different than the Dune game I just talked about. Dune Imperium is a mixture between a deck building game, something like Dominion or Marvel Legendary, um, and a worker placement game. So something like Champions of Midgard or Viticulture or something like that. You're placing your worker out there for different actions. And like as you do that, you play a card um, to like kind of boost that action or tell you where you can go. And all at the same time, you're like putting cards into your deck to give you more actions you can do or more benefits when you pass on your turn. And then at the end of your turn, you go fight over some territory against everyone. And even though it's like a fighting game in that sense, like my wife and I played and... Where she's not like super into like war games or, or games where you're fighting each other and doing anything with combat. We don't mind competition or like cutthroatiness and ticket ride or anything like that. Uh, like it didn't matter. Like even if I was in the battle and I lost, like I still got something cool out of it. It is a very cool mixture of two um, board game categories that I enjoy worker placement, mm-hmm. deck building fantastic game doesn't stay too long on the table you play through 10 rounds you get in you get out great looking game uh fantastic highly that sounds like it checks a lot of boxes for us actually deck placement i mean worker deck building and worker placement yeah yeah and and there's four of you guys right Mm -hmm. yeah there you go even your how old your youngest now she's 11 yeah she totally uh, like I don't, out. I don't think there's anything. I I do think it's a little bit hard to find right now because it's been a, on a lot of people's best of list. I yeah. know my local game store sold out. I'm glad I bought a copy before they were out. Uh, super good. And like each side picks a uh, like I played as I did not play as Baron Harkonnen. I played as my wife was Paul Atreides. I don't even remember who I picked. Someone not from the first book. 
And, uh, like, everyone has, like, their own little special ability. And it, it just adds some flavor. Great, great game. Even with a two-player, there's, like, a dummy player. But um, you can either use the deck of cards that come with it. It's very easy to run the dun- dummy player. Or they have an app that makes it even easier. Uh, love it. Fantastic game. Cool. I did have an expansion game on the list. Let's... It's it's actually, like I said, we, we kind of play the games that we've been playing for, for years and years. Um but Pandemic, which is one that, I mean, I've probably played that game 100, maybe 200 times. Uh, and usually we play with, we like the extra rolls. We like the, uh, the, the mutated viruses. Those are kind of the standard uh, expansions that we play with. And uh, in the expansion box, though, is a bioterrorist expansion, which we have never used before. And when we were down in the Ozarks a couple weeks ago, we're like, well, let's try this one out just for something different. And holy cow, where has this game been my whole life? It is so <laughs> much fun. Um, it goes from a strict co-op game to a one versus everyone game. Um, and it's it's insanely fun. I got to play the bioterrorist. Um, and I, I really think my my 20 year old daughter, she's she's like the evil plotter of the family. So she would love to play the bioterrorist. She didn't get a chance to. But um, yeah, for for everyone else, the game plays basically the same you do have an extra disease that you have to cure because the bioterrorist is planting his disease um but there's just there's some hidden movement which i've mentioned before i love because the bioterrorist doesn't have to put his pawn on the map unless he's in the city well if he's in a city with one of the other people then he has to be on the map and if you use a card to travel then you have to tell them the the bioterrorist was seen in new york or whatever um, and they don't know if you're just arrived in New York or if you left New York. Mm. So it's really cool because, you know, they're they're trying to deal with the normal stuff that they have to deal with. And you can totally mess with them by like traveling through a city that they're in because you just put your pawn down for a second and pick it back up again. And they're like, crap, I know he's close, but I don't know what to do. Or if they're like on their way to take care of something that's about to outbreak, you can put your pawn in the town next to it. So they get there and you go, hold on stop, you just saw my guy. And now they have to decide, okay, do I want to arrest <laughs> you or do I want to go deal with the bo- the outbreak? So it gives them a lot more interesting decisions to make. And it was just, it was so much fun. I, it's, it's the most fun I've had playing. And I enjoy Pandemic. I don't, I will never say anything bad about the game, but it really, it upped it so much. It's nice to like breathe life into those old favorites. Yeah. Pandemic's not one of, what not, my basically my wife and i both don't like pandemic and it is what it is but um like we'll circle back to things like that Mm -hmm. either with an expansion or just whatever and uh i mean i think this list shows it with not that much 2020 stuff like old games are still good (laughs) yeah 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 there was uh oh i mean this is kind of goes back to the discussion to the csrs last year and everything but you know that that game u-boat which was the war game of the year neither of us played it so we're not going to talk about it much but but that game it has to be played with an app which means you know like we you and i we're both routinely still playing games sometimes 15 20 30 40 years old that game won't be able to be played in 40 years because they're not going to sustain the app for that long so um, there's something to be said for old games that are you know still just musty old cardboard that make you sneeze when you open the box yeah, I mean, I guess if you keep it, like, downloaded, it's not like like Star Wars Battlefront 2 servers aren't going to be up in 10 years. 
Maybe, maybe. Okay, maybe they're not going to be up in fifteen years, right? <laughs> but I guess at least with an app, like you can keep it downloaded. But that's a good point. Like, yeah. um, the U.S. Civil War will be around as long as the paper doesn't burn up in a nuclear holocaust, right? <laughs> Speaking of nuclear holocaust, let's hear from Jason from Advance After Combat. This is Jason from Advance After Combat, um, giving some top whatevers for the year. Uh, the Chiefs are losing right now to the Falcons, so I decided. You know, now's probably a good time to record this. I don't really have an order for any of this stuff, so I'll just kind of spout some random nonsense. Hopefully, Matt will cut it up. 2020 kind of ended up being the year of 18xx for me. I think last year was as well, but um, played a ton of train games this year. 18xx.games, like Matt has talked about, really kind of gets a lot of the the barriers out of the way as far as playing 18xx online there's been a lot of new games this year um, new and new to me that that have really been great 62 although i think that came out last year um, has been great uh, 18 la has been by a tony fryer kind of a 46 riff has like what a weird little game uh, knife fight in a phone booth kind of thing 82 uh, up in up in Canada, lots of fun. Looking forward to getting that in the mail. Uh, but yeah, big shout out to uh, 18xx games. My little one's getting bigger, older, uh, so we played a lot of kids games this year. Shout out to Pete the Pirate and uh, Dino Table Battles there, and I guess Cube Rolls games. Um, again, those have kind of gotten a push in the marketplace from Capstone doing their stuff, Rio Grande putting out some games, uh, Holland Spiel keeping it real, lots of Cube Rails games. And that's not the last we're going to hear from Jason, I assure you, and it's all very good. I was, uh, as I was listening to everyone's clips, Jason may have had the most stuff I wrote down, uh, probably because he took 14 <laughs> minutes to talk about all this stuff and said the most stuff, but there was a lot of stuff I was interested in. Uh, Rich, we're an hour and a half into this, and we haven't even talked about 18xx yet, which it was like, this was your year for 18xx. This was the year. It was actually just about a year ago that I played and won my very first 18xx game. And I and sent, here we are. Yeah, I know. Here we are. And, and I have won one 18xx game. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it so much. I'm actually, I think on my current game on 18xx games, I think I'm going to get it. <laughs> so... The, that's the optimism. I played about 10 games of 1846 <laughs> before I finally won one. I really like 1846, the GMT game. Yeah. Uh, it took me forever to win. I finally won one this year, like just a month ago. Awesome. Yeah, I played 1870 was my first one that I played about a year ago. Um, and it was just a blast. It was, uh, you know, it was something, it's not like it was new to me because I, I kind of knew what 18x games were. I just hadn't played them yet. So I was really excited when the opportunity came up and, um, I don't really think I got any 18xx games for several months after I, I was kind of later onto that bandwagon, but, uh, yeah, just being able to play 1870 on the table. I think it was last January was awesome. Awesome. New, new door for me to open in my gaming universe. As far as games that were published this year, I don't think I played anything that was published this year, but I'm not entirely sure on that either. So first off, let me say that the best 18xx thing by far was 
18xx.games. Yeah. Um, in terms of just opening up to new people to the hobby and just the best web implementation of 18xx, it's 18xx.games. Plus, it's getting developer support. And I mean, game, I, I should say publisher support in the sense that publishers are putting their games on 18xx, which is really impressive. Uh, specific games, uh, 2020 games, 18 Los Angeles, 18 Los Angeles is basically 1846, um, set on the <laughs> LA area. I was uh, watching a little bit of you guys playing that game and it looked insane. Like just the map and the density and yeah, that's perfect. Like you nailed it. It's tight. It's dense. It's you're bumping into each other. Lots of potential screwage, which is blocking people from running East. You can either run. Uh, you get a bonus if you run east to west from the edges of the map or north to south, but everything kind of runs through uh, a few different spots. Yeah. Very good game. It's not in like a – you can buy a print-and-play copy. Um, this game was developed by Tony Fryer. You may recognize his game. He was one of the first co-hosts of Heavy Cardboard. Uh, fantastic game. Really liked it. 18MS we've talked about a lot. I like 18MS because it's a 10 rounds only, but each private – or minor company um, has a very specific rule set that lets them break the rules once, and I really enjoy it. I think it's a uh, that's coming into print this year from All Aboard Games, and I can't wait for that one. I think it's a little bonkers with the ten round stuff. And then the last one, real quick, is eighteen thirty two The South. I supposedly have a game of that on pre order from Golden Spike Games. We played the pants off of that over the last year, um, using the kind of like the old way to play. 18xx games online if it ever comes to 18xx.games i would play it that was the first game that kind of introduced me to mergers um and some more stock shenanigans than things like 1846 great game um i like the the setting being in like florida and the southeast and all that stuff it's cool great game uh banner year for 18x games i probably played 25 18xx games this year and it was fantastic now they're not they're not monetizing the site as far as I can tell. There's no advertisements or anything like that. Is it just purely user supported? Yeah, Patreon, as far as I know. Wow. Um and it's I don't do a lot of Patreon stuff and I think I think that's a site that's deserving of it for sure. Yeah. And they keep announcing new games for it. Eighteen twenty eight they just announced today, I think. My favorite eighteen XX game of all time is in Alpha, and that's eighteen forty nine. Um, love it. And that's getting the reprint this year as well. Uh, 1860 Isle of Wright, which is getting a Kickstarter from all board games and was very hard to track down for a long time is on there as well. I mean, there's just 18, uh, Mexico. It's bonkers. We're up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, almost 25 games on there now. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. It it really is. It's incredibly nice that they put that out for free for people. Okay, that's that's it for best of games. I don't have like a runaway like this was the best thing I well. All right, like Seventh Fleet and None But Heroes are probably like some of my favorites of the year. If we did like a top ten list, they would probably be up there. Uh, anything of you like? Is there anything on your list that jumps out like? Well, that was one of my favorite things of 2020. I mean, for me, considered. probably my favorite game that I played this year just for the game itself was Atlanta's Ours. Uh, my best gaming experience of the year would be Jaws of Victory. You know, four of us getting together for a weekend and, and just sitting down and hammering out a big game. So Nice. Yeah. 
so let's do a couple other game things and then we'll get to the non-game stuff. Uh, so we have a list. It's every war game ever list and we rank every war game ever made uh, one game at a time except uh, and it's permanent it's set in stone except for this one time a year when it kind of turns into clay and we're able to reshape the sculpture. Uh, I'd first start with uh, additions to the list. So games that we're probably not going to do a featured episode on. I had a couple. Did you have any, Rich? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think just those two that you got listed there. Yeah, so Axis Empires Dicenso. I just figured we'd throw on a list just because it doesn't need a, a full episode. Yeah, the Pacific stuff, like with the boats and stuff, is different just because you don't see as much of it in the European game. And the movement factors of everything in the Pacific game are much lower. Um, but it's still very much a similar game experience. I think I might like Pacific more than Totaler Creek. And, uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. I think I like Totaler Creek more. Dang. So Totaler Creek was number 13 on the list prior. And I'm just going to slide Dicenso in right under it if you're good with that. Sounds good to me. I mean, I'm just going to pair them up basically. Okay, another game is Brave Little Belgium, which has escaped the list somehow. Uh, we've both played it. We both like it. Uh, mm-hmm. Hollenspiel game uh, covering World War I. Uh, what do you think? Anything jump out at you to like where this should go? Um, I probably would put that in the 20 range. Yeah, okay. That's kind of where I was thinking. Just kind of I was thinking, dark at that area. I was thinking right around 1754. And I'm I'm maybe thinking just below Angola, or maybe just above Angola. Yeah, I haven't played either of those, so I'll let you slot it in there. Are you thinking below Twilight Struggle? It's such a hard question to answer, because man, you can't. They're two wildly different games. Right, right. Hmm. It. Hmm. They really are. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it. Sometimes we. You know, I do it too, but. It's easy to sort of joke about Twilight Struggle because it's been said it's the best war game of all time. And, and I, I don't disagree with that, but that doesn't make it terrible either. You know what I mean? Right. Here's what I'm going to say. And even in the 20s, it's still, these are all games that we enjoy still. Um, 1754 and Brave Little Belgium are very similar. They're both very light war games that introduce some kind of mechanic that I think makes them very enjoyable. 1754 it's the varying turn order plus the end game conditions brave little belgium it's to push your luck i like 1754 a lot and i think i'm going to slide it in under 1754 angola is very cool but it just kind of runs into like all right i've got a giant stack of 30 counters i'm going to crash them into your guys and we saw this cool 2v2 one trick pony and that's kind of it that sounds very old school just stack up the counters and crash them into each other yeah yeah, so I'm going to put it in at 22 if you're okay with that. Yeah, sounds good. All right, uh, and then so the clay aspect is this is the one time of year where we can adjust things. And so like mm-hmm. we've talked about, oh, we should really readjust Silver Bayonet or revisit Empire of the Sun when we both play it or Imperial Struggle, all those things. I didn't have any really jump out at me. Then uh, you may call me crazy, but I think Twilight Struggle's too high on the list. Yeah, again, I mean, I think sometimes it's it's easy to, to just nail on it because you, you feel like you need to go against other people propping it up too much. Um, 
but it feels like it's about where it should be now. I mean, the list, you know, we've got 30 games on it now, and it's kind of sorted itself into three tiers. And and you can kind of look at those tiers, and right now we've got Twilight Struggle at 20. Feels like bottom of the second tier. See, that, that feels about right. Um, I'm not saying a minor adjustment couldn't be made, but... Um, you know, surprisingly, I don't I don't see any major adjustments I've made to this list. I would make to this list. I if if I sorted it, all the adjustments would be minor. Um, there's probably only one on the list that I see that I think is probably rated too high for me, but I I don't necessarily see where it need, would need to move more than a spot or two. So, what do you think is too high? I'm curious. Uh, battle him. The, oh, Richard! Uh, yeah, ah. the more I play Battle Him, the 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 less I appreciate it. Um, really? I still like I still like P Ridge, the Gettysburg game. I just and I played it again last year, and um, there's just it's it's fallen on the list of Civil War games to the point where I have so many better Civil War games that I don't know that I would play that again, but I will play it just because it's P Ridge. So, would you drop Battle Him below Imperial Struggle? Hmm. No, not that because, And that's okay. my point. It would be a minor adjustment. Right. Because I don't think you've played anything in between Battle Him and Imperial Struggle. Correct. Yeah. Do I think Battle Him but, is but the I think, tenth? But I would say that even without playing it, just knowing the system, I would say Blitzkrieg Legend would be higher than Battle Him. But those are minor adjustments. Ooh, you know what? You may not be wrong about that. <laughs> oh, well, this is the time to adjust it. Do I think Blit- Battle Him is the 10th best war game of all time? No. I think it's going to bump down okay so let's talk about that real quick because uh well hold on let's go back to twilight struggle real quick twilight struggle versus brave little belgium Mm, i'd rather play brave little belgium i i i think we're in agreement i'm gonna i'm gonna move twilight struggle below brave little belgium okay so twilight struggle shifts down a few spots uh to number 22 it was previously number 20 so um, just below Brave Little Belgium, which we just ranked. Okay, let's talk about Battle Him versus Blitzkrieg Legend. Ah, Blitzkrieg Legend. Ah, I just, I just don't see it. I mean, Blitzkrieg Legend. The turns are so long. There's so many counters. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem with a lot of. I mean, a lot of games in general, but um, I don't know. Battle Him, like I said, just it. When I play the Gettysburg game. I don't enjoy it that much. P Ridge I like a lot better. So it's it's hard to say. And if they ever release a volume two, then I'll, that'll help me decide. But I don't see that coming. So <laughs> Don't even get me on that soapbox. They they put the map out, and I think they're toying <laughs> with me. They're playing with my emotions. Uh, when you say <laughs> so, Gettysburg. I, mean, I can pl- keep it up there just for P Ridge because I like the P Ridge scenario better. When you, when you say Gettysburg, are you playing the campaign Gettysburg? Uh, I've, I usually play just the first full day. Yeah. Well, okay. Well that has a lot of maneuvering too, because some of those, we've talked about this, some of those short scenarios blow because really you just kind of crash into each other. Yeah. Like the one that they tell you to play the, yeah. Right. What do they call it? The perfect hour or something like that. And it's the worst scenario in there. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Uh, then we're good. So we'll just shift Twilight Struggle down and we'll get those other two on there. And, uh, we'll be back next month with 30 games so far and about 10,000 to go. So doing great. We'll get there. Uh, Let's talk about 2021, Rich. Um, anything big brewing for you? Anything you want to knock out in 2021? Any goals? Um, 
Well, I want to play more games than I buy. That'd be nice. <laughs> that. Um, to that. But yeah, there's some very specific stuff. I mean, I think I think it's going to be a year, big year for uh, BCS for me, which I have up to this point, I've only kind of played around with and I, I'd like to jump into it. I've got some games that some BCS games that I really want to get into. Um, Battles from the Age of Region, Reason, which I mentioned earlier, is definitely going to be high on my list. In fact, that's that's my next game that I'm going to jump into right now. It's on my table. Um, I mean, I, I'd kind of like to set a goal of, you know, we got 12 months. Every month, I want to really play one game solidly. So if I could do that, nice. I'd, I'd be really happy. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um I, I, as we redo our game shells and stuff, which are done, um, there were a lot of games I identified that I want to spend some time with this, and a lot of them were Civil War games. I think, again, this is going to be a heavy Civil War year for me, uh, mm-hmm. but I also, like, every time I look at OCS Korea, it's like, I've got to play that game, or um, Dian Bin Fu. But, uh, so I'm looking forward to a lot of Civil War gaming. Um,. I want to play a lot more next door this year too, because last year seems like we kept trying to, and you know, stuff came up and even more than COVID, like even during COVID we're like, we're going to get together this Saturday and we're all going to play online. And a few times it just sort of fell apart. So uh, next door is high on my list too. Yeah. There's all of those things sound great. Um, So I think it's just play more. And then I would like to play some more with uh, my wife. We just like with a kid, we've gotten away from, Gosh, one year we played like 500 games together, and it was just fantastic. Wow. Um, and it was just the thing we did. And so with the new game table coming, just getting back into that, I mean, we have some old favorites that I'd like to revisit. Um, and there's there's just things with the show I want to do. Um, at the end of this month, we'll have our first YouTube video. We're going to do a live broadcast of the first episode of History Off the Table. Um, right now that's slated for January 30th. I'm basically waiting on a confirmation with some scheduling conflicts with the co-host so uh video content and just uh keep going we've got a good thing um and obviously historic fest covid still has everything up in the air again i'm really trying to be optimistic about the vaccine but it's also really discouraging to hear like how poorly uh states are handling that missouri is no exception yeah yeah, working for a healthcare organization, hopefully I'll be getting mine within, I'd be surprised if two months from now I don't have a vaccine, so. I would we'll, be surprised we'll if you didn't as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm full steam ahead, working on room blocks, working on just reconfirming the special guests, all those things were pretty much there on that stuff. Um, but I'm not going to lie, at the back of my mind, it's like, well, what does July look like? Uh, so trying to remain optimistic, but uh, Historic Fest really just making that the best thing it can be. Um, really excited to see everyone in Kansas City. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of 2021 for me. Cool. Uh, good. Okay, so here's where I'm going to tell everyone to go ahead and cut out if you don't care about kind of all the other stuff we talk about. <laughs> um, that pretty much does it for the gaming aspect for us for 2021. We still have some special guests coming up. Uh, actually, most of our special guest clips are coming up in this back half. Uh, we're going to talk about everything. Drinks, RPGs, movies, TVs, books, comic books, all that stuff. Um, and, yeah. 
so let's get to it and we'll start with uh let's hear from adam from the chance of gaming podcast hey this is adam from the chance of gaming podcast also occasionally known as uh steve and i'm here to tell you what i thought was great about 2020 i read a handful of really good books i read uh duff mckagan the uh basis for guns and roses his book it's so easy and other lies i was very surprised at how great it was and what a big connection he had to seattle and grunge music i also finally decided to finish reading the dark tower which is the stephen king series which essentially meant i had to start over so i'd know what was going on and reread you know the first four books that i had already read and then uh yeah it turned out great and the other great book I read in 2020 was called Becoming Superman. And that is the autobiography of J. Michael Straczynski. The guy that, you know, created Babylon 5, Jason the Wheeled Warriors, Captain Power. Uh, real Ghostbusters, a bunch of stuff. Highly recommend those. Movie-wise, uh, during the pandemic, I managed to be the only person in the movie theater and I got to watch New Mutants and I'm a huge New Mutants mark so I absolutely loved it and it's fantastic and I recommend it and about the only other thing I could even remember watching this year was uh, Greyhound I mean it counts it was an Apple thing but uh, yeah it was good alright uh, we'll hear from Adam again uh, so one of the things Rich and I like to do is talk about all the crap we're reading and so I thought we'd start there. Uh, some of the best, we'll start with nonfiction, some of our favorite nonfiction we read from the year. Um, I'll start real quick because it's one I, I recently mentioned, This Mighty Scourge by James McPherson. It's a collection of short essays about the Civil War. Mentioned it a couple episodes ago. Fantastic stuff, basically from covering um, Lost Cause to covering, um, you know, Lee's strategy at Gettysburg. Uh, just all kinds of different stuff. There's, I think there's 20 essays. I, I could be way off on that. It's hard to remember now. Um, highly, highly recommend it. Very, like very readable, very approachable, not very long, very well-written essays. Highly recommend it. Yeah, that's one I want to check out. Um, just, um, you and I are both big Civil War fans, but that, that sounds like it'd be cool because it's very piecemeal. Um, my, my favorite nonfiction book that I read this year was also Civil War. Um, in fact, this might be my favorite nonfiction book that I've read maybe ever, uh, at least as far as military history or anything. It's just so well-written. I talked about it earlier this year, Decision in the West. It's the Atlanta campaign of 1864 by Albert Castell. It's just so well-written and it's, it's not super thick, but it's not super thin either. It's, I don't know, three, 400 pages or something. Um, but, and I, I remarked at the time what I thought was so cool about this, it's it's written in the present tense. So instead of saying this happened, this happened, this happened, it's every chapter is written as if it's happening right now, which is really cool way to write a history book. Um, but it's just, it's so well done. And it went with a game that I loved so much. And uh, I just can't say enough about that book. I, if I, I would probably read it again next time I want to dive deep into uh Atlanta's ours again, just because they go so well together. And it's just, it's really cool seeing, you know, as you, 
read the history month by month and seeing what was going on, mostly in Georgia, but also around the country because those things affect what's happening in Georgia. Um, and just great, great book. Yeah, that one's on my to read list for sure. Has he done, and that's written by Albert Castell, has he done anything else? He has done like a few that? others. I can't remember. Um, I think that was sort of a labor of love of his. Like if you read the intro, you know, he grew up like watching Gone with the Wind and stuff, and he loved the uh, he loved the Atlanta stuff. So I think he has done some others, but I haven't read them. He's got a um, Civil War Kansas book. But I, oh, cool. I, I'm curious if those are... And we talked about this way back with Elena's ours that that present tense aspect is so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious if those others are in the same boat. Um, so I've got another one, and that's, and this was a surprise when I went through my Goodreads list. And all right, what did I read nonfiction wise in 2020? There were some, uh, there were two standouts. This was not one of them. Um, but as I reflected back on it, it was one of the best things I read in the last year, and that was The Crusades by Thomas Asbridge. Um, this is a long book. You're covering 300 years of history, three crusades, lots of big personalities, lots of significant historic events, lots of you know different perspectives to cover from you know uh, the Christians and uh, Arabs and and everything. And it's it was a big task, and it's accomplished. And I honestly thought that. All basically 800 pages of this book was approachable and enjoyable. Sure, I get a little tired of it. It's a long read, whether you do an audiobook or not. Um, but I just can't help but look out and say, hey, or look back and think that was a really good nonfiction book and did a heck of a job of describing it and making it enjoyable. You know, I'm, I'm just about done with... Um, Snow and Steel by Peter, and we talked about that. Um, yeah, because you want to read Sand and Steel, and then he's got the mm-hmm. Monte Cassino book, right? Too, um, like that's good, and it's long, and it's as full of detail. But I don't think it holds up to something like the Crusades, like because Snow and Steel is nine hundred pages, but All the right. detail <laughs> is stupid, like way too much. The dude needed an editor, like to tell him, like. <laughs> You don't really need to go into this. Yeah. Anyways, so like there's a sharp I, I do like the book. I do like Snow and Steel, but I I'm walking away knowing more about the military history of these three crusades than I am about the bulge after Snow and Steel. So uh that was that was another one for me. What about you? My next one is was kind of a surprise for me too. Um it was around D Day and I was just looking for a D Day book and this one looked interesting. Soldier, Sailor, Frogman, Spy by Giles Milton. Um, it's kind of a light read. It's not heavy. It's not very long. Um, and kind of like, it's not essays like The Mighty Scourge, but um, it's it's more of a... Or no, I'm sorry. This one is... Yeah, non, yeah we're still nonfiction. Okay, yeah. It's just little... I want to say almost like vignettes about D-Day, about some of the guys that, you know, were like in the pre-invasion intelligence forces leading up to it. Some of the uh, French resistance guys, some of the German guys, some of the families of the German people. Um, Just, you know, every chapter is more or less self-contained, but it just goes from the weeks leading up to to D-Day up until probably a a day or two after the actual invasion. Um, Just really just a fun little read lots of like fascinating little things uh, in that book that i enjoyed a lot 
things like seeing the French resistance, like riding their bicycles along the beaches, like passing information and stuff like that was cool. Another one on my to read list. Uh, my last nonfiction book of the year. Um, the greatest shame in baseball is the fact that Buck O'Neill was never uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, just as a, as a, um, I don't know, like a torchbearer of the sport and, and someone who carried the Negro League legacy so well. And Joe Poznanski, who was a Casey Star columnist for 15 years or so, um, basically rode around with Buck O'Neill for a year and then wrote a book called The Soul of Baseball, Road Trip Through Buck O'Neill's America. And it is fantastic. It's part biography about Buck O'Neill. It's part commentary on baseball. And it's also, it's not a full, like, uh, history of the Negro Leagues, but there's so many great stories from, like, the time that Buck O'Neill covered for Satchel Page while Satchel Page's wife just about caught Satchel Page cheating uh, honor in Chicago or just like how people interacted with Buck O'Neill and the stories it was just in a shitty year it was really great getting this wonderful Buck O'Neill story I mean mm-hmm. it's it just it's really well written it paints a wonderful picture of Buck O'Neill and uh, I I highly recommend it. I think it was one of the best things I read across the board in 2020. And that's The Soul of Baseball by Joe Piznanski. Cool. All right. Uh, speaking of books, let's hear from uh, Jason again. For books, uh, Matt Turned Me On to the Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvater. Really a surprise hit for me. Um, I don't mind YA books, and this isn't really YA. Uh, I think it's just kind of easy reading. Um, some good mythology, some good storytelling, great characters. Highly recommend. Uh, for nonfiction, other than presidential biographies, I didn't do. Well, I guess I did, but um, the standout book there for me was Hammer of the Gods, the unauthorized biography of Led Zeppelin. It was a great read. I guess some of it's maybe not. Um, you know, bought into by the band, but it was a lot of fun, especially reading some of the story behind some of the songs. I'm a big cyberpunk fan. Um, this year I read two kind of standout cyberpunk books. One was a book that I had read about for a long time. It gets on a lot of top five lists called He, She, and It by Marge Piercy. Uh, it has some kind of Jewish folklore in it uh, it's kind of a, a parallel story going on with this cyberpunk uh, kibbutz I guess um, really really great and also a series of short stories by T.R. Knapper called Neon Leviathan um, this is I think a new book to 2020 and really unexpectedly great I again saw some people on Goodreads talking about it thought I would check it out buy a new book for once in my life um and it was actually fantastic. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, we're going to hear from him some more. I guarantee it. Uh, <laughs> let, let's talk about fiction. Uh, Jason mentioned the Raven cycle. The Raven cycle, like you said, is not, it's young adult, but it's not young adult. And uh, it's a large part of this was, it was narrated by Will Patton, but even if Will Patton wasn't narrating it, it was a fantastic series about these kids in Virginia, um, dealing with all these, uh, just 
magical forces and in ancient Welsh history and their psychic, you know, powers and energies going on. And it's just this really, um, like it's really well written and it's young adult. So you're dealing with young adult themes, but nothing's in your face. It's not like offensive in how it's portraying things. Everything's natural. Nothing is forced. And at the same time, you're over four books. You're telling this really great story about these kids investigating the mystery of this lost Welsh King and the relationships and the things that happened to their parents and, um, you know, ghosts and all this wonderful, like, southern lore, as well as, like, kind of being in the Appalachian Mountains, although not terribly too much. And there's, there's fucking dragons and stuff. I'm <laughs> actually using it as a large inspiration for an RPG I'm running. Nice. Fantastic. Is that just one book or is it a series? It's a series of books. It starts okay. with uh, The Raven Boys is the okay. first book by Maggie Stiefvater. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for young adult books. I mean, sometimes they can get a little teen angsty, um, but a lot of times they have the same quality of the story with, you know, a lot of times less unnecessary sexual scenes, which I can often leave out of my books and be perfectly yeah, happy. For sure. I recommend it. I mean, it's really like um, it was something on Reddit that I saw that's like, what's well, a book that you shouldn't judge by the cover? Because it's got that stereotypical young adult like, <laughs> Uh, you know, like when you think of Hunger Games, it's a it's a yeah. blank cover with like one symbol on it, right? Yeah. So that's kind of <laughs> like the thing. And so that's that. And someone said this book is way better than it would ever be described, and and that's true. Um, I don't know like who I would sell it to, other than like I pitched it to Jason because I think he talked about like tarot cards or something like that, and I was like, well, you, like if that's something, you may like this book. Um, but it's about a treasure hunt and adventure and love and yeah. all these other things. A very good series. Plus, Will Patton has the best GD narration voice in all of narration. <laughs> Better than, let's see, who would I? Uh, yes. Stephen Fry is pretty good. <laughs> Yes, better than Stephen Fry. Uh, I'll let you take Matterhorn since it's yeah, on so both of our lists. Both our but lists. Um, probably the best thing I read all year. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, and it almost almost feels like it should go a nonfiction because it, right. Yeah, I mean, it was based on his experiences in Vietnam. But but yes, it is a, a fiction book, so you can consider it along the lines of Platoon or something like that. So um, yeah, it's about a uh, a company in in Vietnam and this. Uh, landing zone that they have to take and then give up and then take again. And I mean, if you want a book that's just going to like frustrate you on behalf of the people that is being written about, this is the book for you. If you want a feel good book, I would stay far away from this one, but it's so damn good. Yeah. It's frustrating, but yeah. also like the characters. Yeah. I mean, you've like got, you've got Simpson racial tension. A... You've got, you've got guys that are, you've got the stupidity of body counts in the military during Vietnam and all that. Right. Super, super great. Really gr glad I read it. I, I know we've talked about it, but I was off put by the fact that it was historical fiction, kind of like pose is nonfiction. Totally worth it. Uh, the last, the last fiction book I had was, uh, John Scalzi's the consuming fire, which is the second book in the interdependency. Um, I read the first book of the interdependency, which I don't actually remember what it was called in hopes of getting like a sci-fi space battle book. And it's, it's not that at all. It's this uh, really funny, pretty short space opera with like, 
you know, all this backstabbery and, and all these like really over the top characters and just shenanigans going on and assassination plots and, uh, planets being cut off from other planets and all this stuff. And it just came together in the second book that the second book was just one of the best things I read all year. I, I did the audiobook, which was narrated by Will Wheaton, who I think does most of John Scalzi's books. And it was just one of those things like I couldn't wait to get into the car. It was a little bit of a surprise because I thought Inter- Interdependency Book One was just kind of good. It wasn't great, but uh, the Consuming Fire was fantastic. I I plan on starting the third book this year. Um, if you're just looking for like a fun, witty space opera, I recommend it. Interesting. That's cool that the second book is better than the first one too. Oh yeah, Always I, a good I really think so. Yeah, um, I think the best the best fiction book that i read besides matterhorn this year and i've read a few others and a lot of them they were okay i didn't read anything terrible necessarily but a lot that just weren't worth mentioning um but i really enjoyed nation by terry pratchett um it's just a book about um it's about this uh this tiny little pacific island well it's not pacific because it's another world but it's pacific (laughs) (laughs) and uh there's like a tidal wave that hits it and uh a girl that through some strange combination of plague and other things is actually going to eventually become the, the reigning princess or whatever. She washes up on shore and this, the interaction between her and the tribal people and then her people that come to sort of, some of them come to rescue her and some of them are pirates. And, um, but the whole thing is about mainly centered around this, this one boy that survives the initial tidal wave and kind of becomes the chief of the new people and just really well-written, interesting characters, um, you know, lovable and three-dimensional characters that are just fun to listen to. So, uh, we listened to it on an audio book, but nation, great book. Nice. I think that was one of the last ones he ever wrote too. I, I am so glad I found, uh, Terry Pratchett in the last, Uh, really, for me, Terry Pratchett, I'm completely new to him. I I did just read The Long Earth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fine. heard you guys talking about that, and I asked my wife about it. She's like, eh. <laughs> she, um, she's a fan, but I not really so much liked about it, but the actual story itself was fine, and then it kind of came like, yeah, there's this big payoff at the end, but it's not satisfactory in any way. So, like, I gave it two out of five on Goodreads, Meaning it, it went and on Goodreads, that just means it was okay, which is kind of what it was. And it really didn't feel like what I know of Pratchett, which is Discworld and Good Omens. And that's not like that was not the Pratchett I got in Long Earth. So, uh, nice. Hey, Rich. Yes. Who do you, who do you think we're going to hear from next? Uh, who likes to drink? Who is a podcast about drinking and sometimes gaming? Jason, Jason. come on down. You know, I wanted to have like top cocktails or top top tiki drinks or top boozes. Um, But I mean, if I give my top tiki drinks here, then Matt and I aren't going to have anything to talk about on uh, tiki off the table. Uh, Booze. I mean, it's it's really this year was tiki drinks, Negronis and whiskey for me. Shout out Wild Turkey 101. Big fan. Uh, yeah, let's talk about our favorite drinks of the year. What do you got? Oh, Ozark Distillery Moonshine. 
I can't Unbelievable stuff. stuff. Dave, who's Jason's podcast partner, got me turned on to the stuff, and I can't get enough of it. Um, it's so good. I really want to It's so try good that it. I went on vacation so that I could go down there and buy more. But they do sell it here in St. Louis, too, and several flavors, mixes amazing. I mean, if you want to drink it straight, it's it's smooth enough to drink straight, but if you want to mix it with whatever you like, juice or soda or diet soda or whatever, um, just unbelievable stuff. I mean, it's to the point where I'm, I've almost stopped drinking other stuff instead. So, uh, in stock at the Lucas Liquor right by my house, Ozark Blackberry Moonshine, Ozark Butterscotch yeah. Moonshine, and Ozark Bourbon Whiskey. Yep, all very good. I picked up, yeah, some of the bourbon whiskey I picked up when I was down there a few weeks ago too, and I've only had a little bit of that so far. Um, but it's it's very smooth, good bourbon. I want to try that stuff. Talking about bourbon, uh, I'm not a bourbon fan. I just haven't tried stuff i like typically with whiskeys i'm a scotch man and i pretty much stick to really peaty scotches um but so one of my favorite gin companies so much that my call of cthulhu rpg is named after them <laughs> tomstown uh they make a bourbon and i bought the bourbon for eggnog and the only other people other than putting the eggnog like i just give it to people who like bourbon and don't like scotch um, well, I got like new whiskey, um, ice molds and a new, like uh, metal whiskey glass and I was smoking my pipe and I was like, well, I want, I want something to drink while I go outside and I don't want to use my Lagavulin. So I'll try some of this Tomstown bourbon and like, it's been on my shelf for a year and a half and it is really good. I don't like bourbon. I really enjoy the Tomstown bourbon. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think I just need to find the bourbon I like. Yeah. It's yeah. Bourbon good. is, I mean... There's a lot of bad bourbons out there, but the good stuff I enjoy. So, and I don't yeah, mean like that's... super expensive, but the Ozark Distillery stuff is good. So, yeah. Yeah. The Tom Sound's probably the same price point as that Ozark Distillery. Yeah. $30 a bottle, something like that. Yep. So you're not, you're not breaking the bank. You're not buying a bottle of, uh, you know, $120 scotch or something bonkers like that. Um, but you're also not spending 80 or 70. So $30 for a bottle of bourbon and it's something I didn't think I'd like and I do. <laughs> um, Plus, they go into one of my favorite Martin City brews that they use the bourbon barrels to make the Kentucky Fryer, which is a very good beer from Martin City. Um, one of my favorite tiki drinks this year, and um, it's a really simple one, is a corn and oil, um, which is Sounds basically <laughs> rum. Um, some people use blackstrap rum, which is very mapley or molassesy. I'm not a huge blackstrap fan. There's a couple of black rums that I like, but I can't get them anymore. Anyways, I just use normal uh, rum, uh, a dark rum, and then it's got flurnum and bitters. It's basically a rum old-fashioned with some lime juice, is. and it's very good. Now, old-fashions well, I like, but what is flurnum? I don't think I know what that is. Uh, flurnum is like this kind of like herbally liqueur it's called uh velvet falernum huh interesting i don't think i've had um i i think there's some other falernums as well um it's it just goes it goes a lot it gets paired with rum a lot like it goes in a lot of uh, tiki drinks that's probably why i haven't had it i i don't drink i very seldom drink rum um my first really bad experience with alcohol was with rum so (laughs) I kind of have a negative association with it. I said herbally, but it's uh, it's clove and other spices and some almond is, is what it is. Hmm. Um, but 
yeah, usually there's a little bit in there. Now, see, for a long time, I did not drink rum either because I thought all rums were like spiced rums. And one of my also one of my worst nights was a bachelor party, not mine, another buddy's that I drank. Um, at the time, I was doing keto, and I drank um, it was rum, heavy cream, and diet cream soda. And I drank that all night. And let's just <laughs> say I had a very well, wasn't my best evening. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, um, not my like favorite tiki drink of the year, but one of my favorites, super easy, very approachable. Um, but I'm saving the best stuff for tiki off the table. Uh, <laughs> here's a voice we haven't heard in a while. It's not Jason. It's Michael Gower from Rally in the Valley fame. Uh, I asked Michael to do a little clip for us and he delivered. So let's hear from Michael. Hello, Matt and Rich. Welcome to your podcast it's a podcast you record about war games pretty much exclusively about war games these days which isn't something i can necessarily fully support but as another wargaming podcast host once told me screw everyone else do what you want i'm michael gower and i'm here to add a little bit of maybe not so wargaming content to your podcast per your request so i'm going to give you my best ofs in 2020 uh, starting off with the best book I read, which was Perdido Street Station, a weird fantasy novel by China Melville. Uh, I had been meaning to read it for a long time, finally read it, loved it so much, picked up the other two in the series, and have added them to my reading list. Highly recommended. As far as video games, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim by Vanillaware for PlayStation 4 is the game of the year. Anybody who tells you anything else is mistaken. Nobody's going to play this game except for me and I guess a handful of other people. It is way too anime, half visual novel, half semi-real-time strategy, mech battle game. All incredibly ambitious uh, sci-fi storytelling uh, with a great message. Uh, Check it out if it looks like anything you're remotely interested in. Highly recommend it. And as far as war game, I'm going to give my war game of the year to the war game of every year which is Unhappy King Charles. It is a great war game. I think the pinnacle of the card-driven war game. Completely interesting subject to me as well. Uh, Completely out of print, which is classic for the wargaming genre, but I don't think it goes for that much. Pick yourself up a copy and check out Unhappy King Charles. Thanks again, Matt and Rich, for having me on, and I hope you guys have a very good 2021. I hope that's not the last time we hear. Yeah, uh, I could hear him again. Did you voice. tell me he needs to record again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's talk about RPGs. What a year for RPGs. Oh, my goodness. So many RPGs. It was actually really hard for me to just pick. Yeah, it's much bigger for you than it was for me for RPGs for sure. Well, well, that's kind of rude because one of the games we played was Witchburner, but you didn't even put it on your list. Well, I mean... <laughs> I was kind of surprised you did. So I enjoyed the hell of it while we played. Um, but obviously it just got kind of cut off and, and I I saw you, 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 you called the patient about a week ago. <laughs> if, if anyone's ever interested in it, I'll pick it back up. I would love to, uh, which burner we've talked about it. System agnostic, really cool setting, fantastic setting and rich and the guy we were playing with killed it. Like Rich's snake oil salesman is one of my favorite <laughs> characters in RPGs. And so Witchburner makes the list as one of my favorite RPGs of the year. 
The book is very well written. It's a little bit tough to run in the sense that it's so agnostic, like it's a little too loose, I think. But once you start going, like I didn't have any issues with it. Uh, you so don't, Witchburner, you didn't have any previous experience with that, right? It was just nope. reading the book and playing with us, right? Okay. Um. Very good. I even though we only got through two or three sessions before. Uh, we got ghosted a little bit is really what happened. Rich yeah. is our, uh, our third member just kind of ghosted us, left us high and dry. The witches got him. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, it really was one of my favorite things of the year. I was so hyped for where that was going. Yeah. What did we do two sessions? Maybe three. I, th- I think it was two. It may yeah, have been three, yeah. but I think it was just two. It was a lot of fun. It was fascinating. And we we're, we we're both, I mean, and it's not like when, when he was there, he was totally into it. I liked mm-hmm. his character too. We were playing well yeah. off each other and yeah, he just stopped playing. So I heard you're killing it alien though. I'm hearing nothing but good things about you and alien. Oh, alien free league is, um, so there's two things to say here, right? Actually, everything I'm listing here, which burner was carried by great players. Another game I'm going to talk about, just great to play with the people I'm playing with. But Alien, although I love the system and there's very cool things in Alien, it's also being carried by strong um, uh, narrative by the players. But there's also some really cool system stuff going on. Um, basically, how the panic mechanic works in Alien is great. Um, it's a D6 system by Free League, which basically you can push your rolls if you don't like your results. And how the and when you push you basically risk bad things that's kind of the characteristic in all these d6 games by free league and it just works really well in alien because as you push your roll you may panic and then you may cause your friend to panic and then things start going really bad when everyone panics way too much and everyone's losing their shit while something's hunting them through a spaceship so great game great group of players definitely one of my highlights of the year from an rpg perspective yeah i've uh the only only game I'm playing consistently right now is Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Um, and I think part of the reason I like it so much is, well, one, the GM, I know personally, you know, if we ever get back to face-to-face gaming, he's a local friend. So um, he's, a, he's a friend and, and we enjoy playing with each other. We, we like to co-GM where we'll take turns and stuff like that. Um, but he's been wanting to play this a while and I've actually kind of been pushing back because it didn't sound that interesting to me. And once I finally got into it, I was like, this is actually really fun and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So it's nice to be pleasantly surprised. Um, but yeah, and it's nice to just be playing anything at this point, but um, we're enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, we've played, eh, I don't know, we're maybe four or five sessions in. Nice. Uh, yeah. You really sold me on Warhammer. Yeah. Um, right. I don't know yeah, when my I guy... it into my schedule, but yeah, we got to the point in the story where basically everyone kind of got to their first big level up, um, which is in Warhammer means you get to go up to the next level of your career. So literally everyone else in the group was like moving from level one to their career to level two in their career. And my guy, just because of where he is in the story and I thought was interesting, sort of switched careers. So he basically dropped out of college and became a uh, a, a grave body snatcher. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, that- but it fits where he is and what he wants to do long term. So he's completely destitute now and he's pissed off at the world and I'm having a fun time playing him. That career progression is, and I haven't quite find, I know people mention, um, Warhammer fantasy seems to have a problem. Seems 
seems to have its problems. Um, and people recommend Zweihander as kind of like an alternative, but I don't think it quite has that career progression that really is enticing to me from Warhammer. Probably won't get to it in 2021, but you have definitely convinced me on uh, trying that game out. Cool. Uh, one last RPG for me, and that's uh, that's the score. Oh yeah, Spen- yeah, we've talked about that one. We have talked about it. That's from Spencer Campbell of Gila G I L A RPGs. Um, it's just very rules light. Gets the rules out of the way and just have a good time. In this, in the score particularly, you're running uh, potentially four different characters, and you're just pulling different heights. You may be robbing a bank, which we've done, breaking into a house, we've done an art museum, a building, anything like that. Really, anything you can come up with. And there's some random tables if you want some guidance. Um, but it's just a great, really rule simple game. Um, actually, everything I've read from him, I really enjoy. I didn't put the things I haven't played on here. Uh, but this month I'll be running Slayers, which is his Monster Hunter game, and I can't wait for it. I've read through the rules. Fantastic product. Uh, check out those RPGs. Um, just a small creator doing really good stuff. Spencer Campbell. Oh, hold, hold on, Rich. Can you believe this? I've got another clip from Jason. Awesome. About RPGs? I believe so. Let's Excellent. check it out. Let's do some gaming stuff. Let's do RPGs. This year, I guess last year as well, but this year was really kind of a banner year playing and, and running RPGs. Lots of great stuff. I don't, I don't know that I could list all of it. Uh, I will give shout-outs to uh, The Score, which Matt ran. Kind of one-shot friendly little rules-light heist game. Uh, great. Just kind of gets you into the action right away. Um, you know, there's a lot of meat in in the little tables and in the in the character playbooks. Great stuff. Uh, Oddity High, which was, um, I guess, originally on Kickstarter at some point. I don't know that the final game is actually out yet. Um, but Duck has been running. Duck from the AAC Guild has been running Oddity High for um, two like half seasons. We we just wrapped that. Um, just great anime tropes with a great group of guys Um, and then Cyberpunk Red I've been looking forward to Cyberpunk Red coming out for I guess two or three years I kind of bumped up against 2020 and it just wasn't really what I wanted to run Red does a better job The, the hacking rules, the net running rules do better, combat isn't as crunchy um it's still, I don't think, the perfect cyberpunk game for me. Um, but th- that book for that price is a great value. Uh, and there's a lot of lot of story in there. Um, I, I guess literally and figuratively, there's fiction in the book. Um, great stuff. Check it out. Um, again, if, if you want the perfect cyberpunk game for me, that's probably not it. But, but as far as 2020 goes, that's, that'll get a shout out. And the group that's playing with me is phenomenal. Uh, I run my cyberpunk games kind of slice of life, which is probably not in the in the spirit of the game. It's supposed to be very deadly and and mission based, uh, and that's not really what I'm into. I like I like a slower pace, uh, and they 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 play along with that very well um, and really flesh their characters out. And then Curse of Strahd. 
Hollywood Mike is running Curse of Strahd in 5e um, once a month for Saturday, uh, and it's just phenomenal. He's such a good GM, DM, uh, storyteller. It's been a lot of fun. Again, great group of guys playing, uh, getting some newbies in there, getting some um, <laughs> some good character moments. Um, I'm sure I'll fall in love with another character at some point because that's kind of what I do um, Matt maybe you know we can talk we can take that offline um, but yeah shout out to Curse of Strahd it's, it's been fun despite my 5e hipsterism as far as board games go I'm not really going to get into war games really um, I have another platform for that I bet that's not the last we hear from him. Oh, I thought uh, maybe that would be it. I thought he was done. Nope. <laughs> I'm afraid not. He'll be back. Uh, let's talk movies, which is a weird year to talk about movies. Um, I had to really think, like, I, you know, I, I wanted movies. to put um, The Outpost on my list. One of my favorite books I've read over the last several years is uh, Red Platoon by Clint Romache, which was one of the guys at Cop Keating. Um, another book was written by a journalist called The Outpost, and they made that into a movie for Netflix. Uh, it was good, but, like, it probably could have used, like, another $50 million in budget. Like, when the budget was lacking, you could tell. And it was weird because it had, like, Clint Eastwood's son in it, it. Orlando Bloom was in it. Like, it had a good cast, but, man, when the effects were off, the effects were off. Uh, so that did not make my best movies. Uh, did you watch any movies this year that yeah movie, like you said movies were weird um my nephew and i we have the same birthday so like literally every may probably going back i don't know several years at least but we always watch a movie together in may because may's a great month for movies and you know this year we were gonna go see black widow and then that got obviously canceled and everything so um i don't watch that many movies you know like i'll go to the theater maybe maybe two three times a year tops at home i don't watch that many movies mostly we watch tv shows instead um but one movie that i did see for the first time this year that we really enjoyed was hamilton so came out on disney plus on january 4th and the the girls were just crazed to watch it they'd been wanting to see it for so long so uh we got to watch that and we all enjoyed it quite a bit we've probably seen it two or three times at least since then they're always listening to the soundtrack as well I'm a little ashamed that I haven't watched it yet. To be it's honest. good. It's very entertaining. I mean, it's well done and it's not, you know, I mean, I haven't heard anybody really complain about it. There's obviously, um, you know, it's, it's an interpretation and there's probably someone out there that hates the history behind it or whatever, but I don't care. It's a good movie and the music's great. Um, good. Well, I, we, we were going to watch it on 4th of July and I think we watched something completely different. Uh, so I'll get to it eventually. Uh, let me tell you about murder mysteries, the, the charm and like <laughs> the nostalgia feeling I have. I don't know why about like a good mystery is just something I love. Like even if an Agatha Christie book doesn't hold up or something like that, it's just like the thought of reading an Agatha Christie book or the thought of being like on the Orient Express or any of those things is just, I love that feeling. I, I love a good mystery book. I love a good classic mystery book like 
sitting by a fire or any of those things and knives out is a movie that i think captures the feeling of like a good mystery book uh killer cast it's got um captain america so chris evans it's got um the james bond actor um which actor james James bond oh oh yeah, yeah. yeah i can picture him but yeah uh blonde hair anyways um and it's just a, a whodunit um and it's very well done um like even if this was a year where i watched all kinds of new releases i think knives out would rank among some of the best i watched um it came out in 2019 but it was new to me in uh in uh 2020 daniel craig is, is who oh, I'm yeah, of. Yeah. and then joseph gordon levitt's in it briefly not as much as uh chris evans or daniel craig uh loved it i mean honestly it's one of my my favorite movies i think just going forward it's just a very good murder mystery and we just don't get many of those at that production level another yeah, movie i'll mention nothing, is but, like sorry nothing go but ahead. good things about it i definitely want to see that one yeah, we rented it and loved it. Totally worth it. Um, when when I was sick over Thanksgiving, I, I couldn't sleep. I stayed up and watched Uncut Gems. Have you, have you watched this? Have you heard of it? No, I haven't even heard of it. Uh, this is like Adam Sandler's best. Now, I love, <laughs> love uh, Billy Madison. But, like, this is Adam Sandler acting his pants off. He plays the biggest piece of shit you will ever meet. <laughs> he's a ju- he's like a jewelry salesman. Yeah. And he's a liar and like a con artist and Kevin Garnett's in it. And he just says the most ridiculous things. He's offensive. He's a scam artist. He's a piece of scum. And he just acts his pants off. Like it's very good. It's very weird. It's very kind of art housey, not super mainstream movie. It came from the same, um, the A24, which did uh, like Get Out and stuff like that. So it's it's that same production uh, team, or not team, but uh, production house. Uh, really weird. It's on Netflix. And it's just like, him running a long con for this whole movie and all the shit he gets himself into. Like he gets locked into his own trunk one time and has to text his wife who he's getting a divorce from and it's all fucked up and he's naked in the back of his car oh, and like yeah. while his daughter's at Can a dance recital and stuff. And but the big takeaway is that Adam Sandler checking just my settings now. I can't has hear you at all a, that. Like career acting moment. Uh very good movie. Very uncomfortable, I think. Really enjoyed it. Hold on. Jason, Jason, you watch you watch some movies and TV this year? Is that is that right? I guess TV. My favorite TV show from this year uh, was a docu-series called Murder on Middle Beach. It covers this young man's uh, investigation into his mother's murder from like a college film course. Um, and then it seems to take two kind of big jumps in time as he works with local police and interviews his family about this really strange unsolved case that seems like it should be open and shut uh, and then he kind of spins some doubt and then pretty nicely ties up uh, and it ends with uh, a FOIA request granted so it seems like there there should be a season two and hopefully there's some answers for him and his family if you like true crime check it out and then of course the phenomenon that was tiger king uh, i was familiar with that story but seeing those people on camera was pretty ridiculous 
I would typically have a top ten or you know top five, top three movies, but I don't think I saw a new movie this year, which is kind of incredible. We spent the whole year rewatching our favorites. We watched Lord of the Rings, I think, three times in its entirety this year. Hashtag stay inside. Let's talk about TV because there was no shortage of TV to watch this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there was plenty. Um, n- Probably the maybe it's cheating because it's season two. The best thing I saw on TV this year would have been Mandalorian season two. Um, Just everything. I, I just loved everything about it. Even the ending, which, you know, I would have done things differently, but it was still quality TV. Um, I've only watched one episode, Rich. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I started watching, so it came out, I think season two was this year. Season one might have been last year or something, but I didn't start watching until this year was The Boys. I finally, that had been on my list for a while. And um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was entertaining as hell. It's I, I can't even like recommend it to anyone necessarily <laughs> because you have to know who, you have to know who you're offering this to. Just because it's such a bad shit insane insane show, um, but I loved it. It was a lot of fun. I think my favorite part of the boys was like so early. Have you seen the whole thing? Only the first season. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I won't say anything about the second season then. Only that there was something that I don't know. It, it's it's good. It's a, it's very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I really like the first season. It's just like, and I like the first season of Umbrella Academy, but it took me a long time to get back. Yeah. to it and i just i don't know yeah that was another one i saw the second season of and it wasn't as good as the first but i agree even on the first season i was i don't know it, it was good but not great i think right and i'm sure and i don't know what they're going to do now but... with uh ellen becoming elliot so oh i'm sure they'll work that in i mean yeah they like, they absolutely i mean that anyway. show already had <laughs> i mean narratives it'll work yeah. i'm sure uh yeah so i my favorite show of all time is twin peaks and what's nuts is I it took me a long time until this year to watch Twin Peaks The Return because I kept saying I want to do a rewatch before I watch all of The Return. Um, Twin Peaks The Return is probably the only show that can get away with like showing you 15 minutes of nuclear test footage and get away <laughs> with that as like masterpiece footage, right? It's so maddening that Really, you walk away more confused than understanding what is going on. But fuck if I don't love Twin Peaks. Like, everything about it. Um, And I don't know what I expected. I think I expected, like, feel good. But it's David Lynch. Like, he's not going to make you feel good. You're not going to get, like, the Agent Cooper you love from the 90s. Um, Well, that was my question, though. Is it It's still David Lynch? Are the actors the same? What What is the same between the two? Most of the actors are the same. It's a carryover of... Twin Peaks, um, and the only difference is like um, Sheriff Truman. Like I, th- I think he passed away, so they they bring in someone to be like Sheriff Truman's brother. But most of the cast is there. Even fucking James is there and sings his weird ass song. Um, <laughs> but basically, everyone shows up, and it it answers some things, but it also like it leaves you questioning things, and it explains. Um, some things behind the lodge and all these wonderful things, but it's just, it's such a well, like David Lynch is a fucking genius or like, he's also like pulling a fast. I've heard some crazy theories about like, what does twin peaks mean? And, um, 
it's hard not to get sucked into those things. Mm-hmm. But man, if I don't love me some Twin Peaks, I like Twin Peaks more than Twin Peaks: The Return. But like, the Return is up there. Like, whoa! Have Have you watched the original Twin Peaks? No, no. I mean, I just sort of know about it, what it is culturally, but that's about it. Never saw mm. it. Oh, I love it so much. My brother tried to get me into it, gosh, when like streaming Netflix was new. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, what the is this? This is weird. He's like, no, Matt, people say this is some of the best TV ever. I was like, no, won't do it. And then I finally watched it, oh, probably seven years ago, and I just couldn't stop. And uh, I've, I've rewatched the original series a couple times now. And uh, when I had COVID, I basically watched from season one through the return, and it was everything <laughs> I wanted. And there's something new coming from David Lynch on Netflix, and a lot of people are suggesting it's related to Twin Peaks. I hadn't heard about that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, other, like, weird shows. <laughs> I'll just mention Lovecraft Country real quick, because we've talked about it on the show a lot. Uh, Lovecraft Country was great. I think it was timely in some of the topics it handled. I think it um, had a stellar cast. I do wish some things were more similar to the books, especially the stuff um, dealing with um, uh, the wife, and I'm, I'm forgetting her name right now, but kind of like the weird, I'll say kind of outer space stuff and leave it vague. Uh, but I was really into that show. It was definitely one of my favorite shows of the year, Lovecraft Country. The book is fantastic as well. And the last thing I'll talk about is Shit's Creek. Uh, it took me a long time to come around to Shit's Creek. I didn't think I'd like it. Um, but again, over Thanksgiving, I was sick and I binged the whole thing. And it delivered. It's hilarious. I love the characters. Um, they're all very over the top. But you know what? It gets in there. It tells a story. And then it doesn't really overstay its welcome. They didn't stretch it out further than they needed to. It's a very good show. I found it hilarious. It just got better each season. Yeah, I need to finish that one up. That's one that we we started watching and we enjoyed it, but it's like, I don't know, we we liked it, but we weren't crazy about it, so we just kind of let it die on the vine. Um, But I've heard that it gets better, so we'll we'll definitely get back to that one. It does get better, and then I just like I always think about how Moira says "baybe," and (laughs) it just it just makes me so fucking happy and cracks me up. I hated Moira when the show started, and then she like grew into like she's so ridiculous and. She's such a great actress. Yeah, right. Um, and like, so what's funny is I didn't watch that, but I am a huge fan of, I love A Mighty Wind and Best uh-huh. in Show. Like, I try yeah. to get my wife to watch those all the time, but it took me forever to watch Shit's Creek. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're huge fans of that whole Mighty Wind, Best in Show group of movies. The only all one right, I've let's... seen that I didn't like was Waiting for Guffman. I want to just... And I have not me. seen Waiting for Guffman. What I love like in a mighty way. What happened? <laughs> uh, so on uh, another topic we have is I hope everyone's still with us. We've been going for uh, a couple hours. My drinks are getting lower and lower. I'm onto the Miller Light now. Uh, <laughs> so, um, podcast. And before we get into those, and this is uh, new to us or just stuff we enjoyed in 2020, like AAC and Alcoholic Adventure Cabal, Advanced After Combat, Dice Tower, all of those things I've been listening to for years, um, and stuff you should know and, and things like that, um, they're all great podcasts. 
Uh, I did not include those because uh, I just want to mention. Yeah, same here. Right. So uh, you've got way more than me. So uh, why don't you throw one at me? Yeah, I've got a few. And all of these, I don't think I started listening to this year, um, but they were highlights for me this year. Um, one is this one actually might be new to me this year, but it's hard to remember the exact timing. We have ways of making you talk. So it's a podcast by um, a couple of British guys. One's a comedian, one's a historian. And they talk almost exclusively about World War II. Every time once in a while, they'll, they'll do some other stuff as well. But they'll talk to like guys that run like World War II museums. They'll answer letters about specific, you know, weird little stories that you'd heard about. They do interviews with veterans, which are usually some of their best episodes because, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to hear those for much longer in an interview with a World War II veteran, but they're just, they're almost always great to listen to. And some of them, you know, achieve the, the level of just absolute sublime listening. So yeah, we have ways of making you talk as a, as a great podcast that that one, I think I did start listening to in 2020. Nice. I also started, but I just didn't stick with it. I only listened to one episode, and I think I just I tried to do like the backlog. I think I just need to start yeah. listening. There's, um, I just have one like new to me. This oh no, I have two. I left one off. Um, and I'll start with the bungalow, which is Colin Bunn and Cindy Bunn's podcast. Colin Bunn writes comic books, and sometimes like when Colin Bunn is on, I think he's fantastic. He's also written some real stinkers. I'm not going to lie. I'm not just going to like sugarcoat everything. Uh, but there's something about like the charminess of like this husband and wife team just getting on their podcast, talking about his comics, talking about their haunted houses and like all the wacky stuff they get up to. And they just have this really good back and forth. And it's just like a charming little uh, comic creator podcast as they go back and forth. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of family stuff, my brother, my brother and me. Um, have you <sighs> heard of them before? Oh, yeah. Well, I advent, just Adventure Zone. I don't listen okay. to My Brother, My Brother. My so brother. actually, that's how I got started on them. And then I transitioned over to their regular podcast, My Brother, Mother, Me. It's the McElroy brothers, literally three brothers, and they just do a goofy podcast together. It's it's one hour a week, comes out every Monday or Tuesday. And they're just funny. They're just they're they're just just stupid funny. And they they just sound very much like I don't know if you got brothers, Matt, but it's just like it just reminds me of the best time of having fun with my brother. So yep, I get that. I mean, and that comes through in their Adventure Zone, which is their actual play yeah. RPG podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I if, should if give if it. You can actually go back. It's kind of interesting because if you want to, you can go back, and they're literally maybe five, six hundred episodes in. But if you go back to before they did Adventure Zone, then you can hear them like. You can hear the podcast where they're like, hey, we should do a D&D podcast. So it's kind of <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, hearing the, the birth of that. Uh, so I, I did have a full three. Um, so another one I had, um, podcast, but really YouTube. It's a YouTube channel. He doesn't have a podcast. Uh, Terry Moore, I think, is one of the best comic artists ever. Uh, Mike McNoll is another one that is one of my favorites. But Terry Moore's line art. He doesn't color everything in. It's all these, it's black and white, just stunning art. And he just captures like humans really well, um, especially girls. Like he can just draw them really well. And I'm not an artist. I, I can't draw a circle to save my life. But Terry mm -hmm. Moore has a YouTube channel called Terry Moore Art. 
And sometimes it's just him and his wife chatting, but a lot of times it's him how to draw this or, you know, how to draw women or how to draw hands or, or how to write or whatever. It's just all this different writing and drawing advice from one of the best people in the industry. Like his art is stellar. His comics are outstanding. Motor Girl is one of my favorite comics of all time. Um, And so not really a podcast, no, but I'm throwing it in here. Uh, Terry Moore's art channel on YouTube. If you're at all interested in that, uh, check it out. He has some great drawing tutorials. Also, like if you've never checked out his uh, comics, um, well, I'm going to talk about one of those later on. What else you got, Rich? Uh, I think the other one for me, and again, it's not new to me, but Dan Carlin is just anytime he releases anything, I'm going to be a big fan of it. So he's got hardcore history, which he's currently maybe four out of five segments into his uh, Pacific World War Two podcast, which, you know, when he puts out hardcore history, it's usually three, four, five hours. So he doesn't release them very often, but there's a lot to listen to. But he's also got Common Sense, which I really like listening to, too. So I'm a big Dan Carlin fan, and and he's been one of my favorite guys to listen to this year. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and resolve for 20, or uh, yeah, that's the right word, for 2021 to give him a try. Because I've never tried Hardcore History, and I know a lot of people are uh, big fans of it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So one that was new to me this year, I don't remember where I heard about it. Uh, get up in the cool. Usually, I don't listen to unhobby related podcasts other than something like Stuff You Should Know. But um, I bought a banjo last year, and I nice. was making pretty good progress. It's an American instrument. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's um, a musician I I like, and I remember seeing him in concert, and he he was he was playing the banjo. He's a he's a great guitar and and banjo player, but. That's the thing he pointed out when he was like talking to the audience. Like, this is one of the few natively American instruments. So, I, I love a good uh, banjo song and, oh, yeah. and sound. Um, so I'm I'm back on it. Uh, New Year's resolution to practice the banjo. Uh, got it tuned up, making good progress this year. Just kind of starting back over. Anyways, uh, get up in the cool is this podcast where um, Cameron Dewitt, which isn't someone I actually know basically interviews a uh, musician each each episode and before he used to go to these like banjo and uh, americana and folky festivals and they do like a live jam session and have these great conversations and now it's done over skype uh but basically he has a conversation with these all kinds of different uh folky um musicians a lot of time it's talking about um or a lot of time they're playing banjos i think they've done they've done fiddles and all kinds of stuff and it's just it's good if you're at all into kind of like folk music or like there's been a big renaissance in kind of like indie folk music over the last five years or so um it's just really good conversations and they'll just jam and they'll play their dulcimer they'll play their fiddle whatever whatever and it's just a good good stuff and it's not the kind of thing i would normally listen to i really enjoyed it Uh, very, very good. Uh, so, uh, before we get to music, uh, let's hear from, that's a drum roll, Jason (laughs) from Advanced After Combat. And just like movies, I didn't listen to a lot of new music this year. 
Uh, again, with reading Hammer of the Gods, I listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin, which is not new or new to me. Um, but it was great going back and listening to all those albums again. For 2020, uh, my album of the year is definitely Run the Jewels 4 by Run the Jewels. Uh, it's really a, a, an album that kind of encapsulates late 2019, early 2020 in the kind of rage and, um, you know, general <laughs> shithole the, that, that the years turned into. Um, great album, uh, a lot of powerful stuff in there. I also really liked uh, ADHD by Joyner Lucas. Another great album. Uh, Joyner doesn't get a ton of hype, uh, but great rapper. Some great features on there as well. And then, of course, uh, Getting Into Knives by the Mountain Goats. Really, anytime John Darnell does something from music or books or whatever, um, I'm going to be excited for it. So I got to give Jason some credit this year. He introduced me to uh, My Morning Jacket, which was nothing like what i expected and probably one of my uh, i wouldn't say one of my favorite bands but when i have listened to my morning jacket it's been really good what is that uh, i've never heard of them it's kind of like um just kind of almost like trippy chill music but like with an indie vibe hmm. uh it's good stuff like i thought it was going to be like metal or something based off like the album covers and the song names but mm-hmm. it's like it's just kind of like chill out music uh yeah with like in any vibe is exactly how I'd uh, say it. Um, so for music for me, obviously this year I've talked about it has been a big vinyl year for me. Uh, for this category this year, I'm limiting it to vinyl records for me that were 2020 pressings. If I did new to me in 2020, I had way too many new vinyl records. <laughs> so I limited it to new vinyl records that were either repressed, reissued, or just new releases in 2020. Uh, what about you? Um, I just thought of uh, one of the groups that I was new to me and the other one I really became to appreciate more and more in 2020. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my first one. So Leslie Odom Jr. Um, I just became a huge fan of his this year. Um, a lot of it because of Hamilton, but it's actually interesting. I've, I've actually been a fan of his a few years for a few years, just not as big as I am now. Um, I was, I, I hardly ever watched TV. But I want to say two, three years ago, maybe, um, I was out of town on business, um, which means I've usually just got the TV on in the background. And then, like a nationwide commercial came on, um, which I don't, I'm really good at tuning out stuff. So usually I don't even hear commercials. But Leslie Odom Jr. was singing for the nationwide commercial, and it stopped me in my tracks to hear his voice. I literally got on my computer and I Googled like, who is the guy singing on the nationwide commercial? And then I saw his name and it could put two and two together. And my daughter was like, oh yeah, that's the guy from Hamilton and all that. And I'm just absolutely in love with his voice, but he's got an album we've been listening to a lot, just called Mr. That it's, it's really great. It's got a lot of different styles on it and just unbelievable album. And I could listen to him all day long. And sometimes I do. Speaking of voices that can stop you in your track and, I have not listened to much of him. What I've heard of Leslie Odom Jr. I do like um, Nina Simone. She is I'm unbelievable. Not a, <laughs> I could listen. It is, I, I, I listen to her all day long a lot too. <laughs> I in sure I had heard some like I had heard I put a spell on you, 
and you know some hits and like if someone said that's Nina Simone or something like that but I um I was buying vinyl records and I was sure this one's on sale I'll give it a try and this is specifically Nina Simone I put a spell on you reissued by Acoustic Sounds Acoustic Sounds is a company out of Salina Kansas that does fantastic top of the line uh vinyl pressings their vinyls sound amazing even on my kind of crappy budget system like they're quiet they're crystal clear fantastic so when i put a, i put a spell on you on i was just blown away stopped in my tracks nina simone blew my pants off it's <laughs> seriously a huge surprise to me is one of the best things i've listened to all year long fantastic yes. the whole album and it shows her whole like showcase like yeah there are so many different tracks on that album. It is fantastic. Yeah, and I don't think I've... I mean, I'm sure I've heard stuff from this album, but I'm more of a Spotify guy, so I don't necessarily sit down and listen to an album in a row, which I know is, you know, a lot of times that's kind of the beauty of those old albums is being forced to listen to everything in a row. Force is a bad word, but you know what I mean. Well, that's... that's I, I think I mentioned that before. Is like, that has really changed how I listen to music because yeah. same thing as you. I was a Spotify, Pandora guy, whatever. Um, this has really changed it. Um, let's see. So, Feeling Good's on here and I put a spell oh, on you. Yeah, like you perfect. Would, but, I mean, all all kinds of stuff. And I think there's some, like, some people think... Um, like, there's some other, like, Pastel Blues and Little Girl Blue are maybe mm-hmm. some albums that people like more than I put a spell on you. Um but when I listen to this thing, both sides, and I'm specifically talking about the analog productions vinyl here because I was really, or acoustic sounds, which is a imprint of uh, analog productions. Uh, loved it. Fan. Have you seen the movie? It's probably like the early nineties, Bridget Fonda point of no return. It's a movie. It's, it's actually an American remake of La Femme Nikita. Um, but the character, like her handler in that movie, is obsessed with Nina Simone, and that's when I started listening to her. Is when I saw that movie. <laughs> it's just because so she's so good, good. yeah. And I so I want to read her. Uh, her I don't think it's an autobiography. Maybe it was an autobiography. I would really like to read it because, like, it's someone like if someone said the name Nina Simone, I would know it, but probably like you until that movie mm-hmm. it wasn't something i really listened to yeah and she's just a very talented musician i don't know if she, i don't think she's still alive oh, i'm sure she's but, not um so i've got two more and you've got one more i will just mention another one from acoustic sounds which is uh john coltrane a love supreme which is another record i put on crystal clear this is another reissue from acoustic sounds new in 2020 um what a fantastic jazz album. Yeah, I, I, by and large, I don't listen to instrumental jazz. Sometimes I do, but it's not, not something I usually go to. Okay. Um, I'm not, I like, I like Miles Davis a lot and there's all kinds of different Miles Davis, right? It, it depends on the, um, but like the guys I'm talking to, uh, vinyl with usually seem to be really big Miles Davis fans, but like, mm-hmm. I almost like John Coltrane more. I don't. I don't know if it's the trumpet versus the saxophone, but John Coltrane is a, is an American saxophonist, and he just um, this is a really solid jazzy or saxophony jazz album. It's not super long, um, but it's really enjoyable, and it's it's another thing I put on. I put it on my record player, 
and I was just like, holy shit, I am so glad I have a record player. This is dope. So, great album. Yeah, there's a group that I found this year, or Spotify introduced me to anyway. Spotify does a really good job of knowing what you like and giving you similar artists. Um, but it's a, I think they're Finnish. They're an acapella group called Zero Eight. And they just have an amazing sound that I love to death. So I've been listening to them a lot this year. They've got they've got some some like uh, religious music and some Christmas music and just some secular music. And they've got some really fun like Norwegian or whatever folk music Finnish or wherever they're from. Um, just a great great sound though. I'm, I'm I've been enjoying them quite a bit. Nice. Uh, my last album. I'm gonna cheat and put two on here. And originally I had one uh, or two anime albums. Oh, I, I know why I didn't have two, because I don't think Mary and the Witch's Flower came out in 2020, um, which is a Netflix anime, but the soundtrack is incredible. The original album I had on here is uh, Joe Hisayashi is the composer behind Studio Ghibli's films, which have incredible scores. And a few years ago, they started um, for the first time putting those scores on vinyl and they have all kinds of different versions. Like there's orchestral versions, there's image albums and, and all these different things. Uh, new in 2020 was the princess Mononoke image album, which is probably one of my favorite studio Ghibli soundtracks. I love spirited away, but I don't think the soundtrack works as well away from the movie. Anyways, um, this is an image album, which is like an album they make before, um, they start drawing to like give the artist like a, it, it's kind of weird uh, when I looked it up, it's like, so the artist can see what the characters look like or, or something like that. Um, just great. Fantastic music. Are you a Studio Ghibli fan? No, I, I've never really, I, I've seen a little bit of anime, but I'm not, it's, it's not like a dislike it or anything. It's not something I'm into, and I've never really listened to the music for its own purposes. Oh, man. Anime has really does have... I mean, I mean, put all the weirdness aside. Anime has outstanding music. Yeah. Studio Ghibli is basically like Pixar of anime. Like, they're mm-hmm. very... Um, and they're, that does it's not a bad thing. It's just they're very approachable, right? Like, I think non-anime people would enjoy a lot of Studio Ghibli films. Yeah. Speaking of its animation and jazz, have you seen Soul? It came out right before the no. new year. Okay. No. Uh, like, I've heard that deals with a lot of dad stuff. Yeah, it's... I wouldn't say it's dad stuff, because he didn't have kids, but... I don't know. It, just curious if you'd seen it. No, we'll, we'll say someone, because someone had told me like, and jazz. Someone had told me, like, and maybe it wasn't Soul, but I thought it was Soul, was, like, to brace myself for emotions with dad. Yeah, stuff, so. it's... <laughs> it's it's life evaluating stuff which i actually kind of want to see again now that i've had a recent life evaluation <laughs> so <laughs> but and then one last thing i wanted to talk about with music is um i was recently listening to the last the the first episode of of tom's town uh just because i like to listen to it to remember what happened and everything you have an amazing soundtrack in there I was going to get, I wanted to ask you for that soundtrack list, what you put just behind us talking about stupid oh, yeah. shit in there. Cause you've got some good stuff in there. In that fact, my was daughter was listening with me and she's like singing along to some of the, the, the female jazz singers that you've got in the background. It was so good. So, um, that was a lot of, a lot of fun 
uh, to research that stuff. Yeah. Uh, probably the stuff she was singing along to, like the modern stuff kind of redone is like a, a jazz song is called postmodern jukebox. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like they've done gangster's paradise, which I played in there. Yeah. But then she, I also, that's the one she was singing along to. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a uh, postmodern jukebox. And then I also put just like, uh, some really moody jazz in there. And that was a ton of fun to like research. I spent yeah. a lot of time like finding cool stuff to listen to. And I found some really good music that I've saved to my Spotify that I like. Yeah. Well, you did a good job on that. And you even told Thanks. us beforehand, you're like, well, this isn't necessarily Kansas city period pieces, but it fits the mood. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I like doing that with uh, RPGs, finding good music to go with this stuff. Uh, so just a couple more clips. Uh, do you want to guess who we're going to hear from next? Jason. No, you're no, wrong. Damn it. Well, let's bring let's bring Adam back from Oh, Adam's Kansas back. Guys, I decided to make a conscious effort to actually get out and get involved in my local tabletop community as an exercise for improving my own mental health, and it helped out tremendously. I met some great people. I made some great friends. And uh, here's a handful of the games I've spent 2020 playing. The first one was I jumped right back into Warhammer 40,000 with the new edition, and um, it's great. I've got a bunch of stuff at the painter, and I'm looking forward to playing it more. However, the tabletop game I did play the most of was Star Wars Legion, even though I am the world's most uh, casual Star Wars fan. And... uh, I, it's what the guys locally play, so it's what I play. I enjoy just, you know, hanging out in the camaraderie, and yeah, it's great. And uh, so, yeah, I played that way more than anything else. I streamed it, and um, yeah. So Star Wars Legion was the biggest game for me this year. And just at the tail end of 2020, a game I was very interested in playing just picked up, and that's Star Wars Armada. I hate X-Wing had to die so that Legion and Armada might live, but that's the way it went, at least locally for me. So that's 2020 for me, guys. All right. We got a couple more <laughs> uh, topics, and then we'll we'll close out. But before we lose everyone, I just want to thank everyone for uh, – History on the Table has grown to so much more than I ever thought it was. One – there's a co-host rich which we brought rich in 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 2020 and it has been fantastic i think that was a great decision it's been a lot of fun um i told my wife when i started like 10 downloads i was going to be cool with (laughs) and we're so far past that and um like war gaming's a niche hobby and stuff and it's it's so cool interacting with people uh when we get listener questions and interactions with people it's just like the coolest thing uh, so thank you everyone who listens. Thanks to everyone who talks to us on Twitter or whatever. Uh, just really appreciate it. So looking forward to a uh, new year. We're going into our third year of history on the table, and I've got uh, a lot of things to introduce this year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun doing this. Oh, yeah, of course. as a no-brainer. Uh, so let's close it out with some uh, video games. Yeah, I don't play too many. Um, in fact, it was just about a year ago that I got my first console in since it's been a while. It's been five, ten years since I've had one, but I got an Xbox about a year ago. And um, 
Game of the Year is one that we've both got on our list. So I'll say that one first. Star Wars Squadrons I've been enjoying. I'm so terrible cool. at it. Um, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to even join in multiplayer, but it's fun to play. It is so fun. And it, it has its bugs. Yeah. Um, but it really was one of my favorite, especially when I was like playing it a lot. Like, yeah, that was one of my favorite things of the year. I love flying like a wiring white why wing around wow saying that when try saying that when you're sober um i actually just bought a y wing uh lego set um, oh, cool. and it's just really cool to fly that stuff around so yeah it definitely was one of my favorite things of the year was playing that yeah and then another one i've been playing with my daughters a lot my 20 year old's amazing at it my 11 year old and i are probably about even at it but star wars battlefront 2 um just it's it it seems like the game's been out a few years now. I first heard about it. And when it first came out, I was so excited about it that I thought about getting a console for it back then and never did. So when I got a console, this was one of the first games I bought. Uh, just It's just fun to, you know, you can play co-op, you can play against each other, you can play one-on-one or two versus two, or sometimes my daughters will set up like some custom scenario where there's like 600 lives or something and they sit there and just play the same game for sometimes an hour or so so uh but it's a lot of fun nice uh i've just got one more and like you say you don't play video games we've got more than me um and that's control um control the people who made control also made alan wake alan wake is this amazing um survival uh horror not survival i'm sorry it's a horror game and it's got a very strong twin peaks feel um, I don't think Control has the same Twin Peaks feel, but there's definitely some Twin Peaks vibes and very specific scenes. But the atmosphere of Control is just bonkers and fascinating. Basically, you walk into, think of like an FBI building, but it's all about investigating like paranormal activity. But mm-hmm. the building itself shifts. And there's all these like weird powered items. And like maybe sometimes the weird powered item is like a coffee maker or a filing cabinet or a mirror or whatever. And you're just kind of running around trying to find answers and fighting these bad guys that basically become possessed while this building is shifting. And while you're running into (laughs) these different powered objects and you get different cool powers on your character, the atmosphere and the setting of control is just really rich and rewarding the same way that Alan Wake was. I don't know which one I would like more. Alan Wake, I just loved the the vibe of the and the very specific Twin Peak callouts, Twin Peaks callouts. Um, I did not play. They had some other games in between Alan Wake and Control. I did not play those, um, but I think uh, Control certainly was one of the. Technically, I think I started playing it last year, but I spent most of my time playing it this year. I think who knows when it actually came out. Um, great game really cool i need to actually finish it um but i'm very close i just don't sit down to play console games that much anymore yeah the last one on my list is very lightweight game worms armageddon um and and this (laughs) one played worms in forever so i used to play this with my dad on the pc and i mean we just we had so much fun it's just such a goofy little game the worms are these comic book characters shooting like bazookas and nuclear missiles and crap at each other but um it's just a a stupid little but very fun game and you know it's got a little bit of strategy involved in it and 
um, literally on Father's Day this year. I was just sitting there on the couch with the kid, girls and we're looking and f- scrolling through games and stuff. I'm like, oh, Worms Armageddon. I used to play that with my dad. And I'm like, oh, really? So they bought it for me on Father's Day so that we could all play together. And we've played several times since then. Just it's just it's it's really fun to play a game with my kids that I played with my dad. So, yeah, I bet so. Uh, good. We've got one more topic left. Uh, Rich, you're gonna have to read, take this one. You didn't. You didn't read any comics in 2020. Did not read any comics. In, there are some that I want to read. I mean, like I've heard such good things about some of the new Star Wars comics, the Darth Vader and stuff like that. But um, no, I haven't. I haven't read any comics in a while. So I kept this uh, just new to me stuff. Um, the first one I want to talk about is uh, by Terry Moore, who we've already mentioned. I finally got a read around to reading Rachel Rising, which is a horror um, comic. It's probably eight volumes of trade paperbacks um, about kind of like these two gals that can't die, basically. And it's got all these like history with witches and like a psychotic little girl that kills people and all this like it's just the characters are it's got fantastic characterization the story is very interesting and i've already mentioned that i think terry moore is one of the best artists in the comic industry and like going back since the beginning of comics it's just such a distinct style and i I love his line drawing um so rachel rising is is very very good i think any of the terry moore stuff is good uh, Terry Moore has Strangers in Paradise, which is kind of like a slice of life um, about uh, two female characters. I think the roommates when they start. It's been a while since I've read. I've only read the first volume of Strangers in Paradise, but it's very good as well. Motor Girl is one of my favorite comics of all time, also by Terry Moore. Uh, but Rachel Rising was one of the comics I read for Halloween this year, and it was a very good spooky, uh, kind of witchy, weird uh, comic, but it was very good, fantastic. Um, and it's not like tons of baggage. I mean, that's kind of the deal with comics is, um, like how much do I need to read to understand this? And that brings me to my next series, which is Astro City. Uh, Kurt Busiek is a guy that has done work for all kinds of different stuff. Um, he's, he wrote Marvels, which is a fantastic series from Marvel. He's had an Avengers run, but he also has a series called Astro City. Astro City is a self-contained comic book city and series, uh, with fantastic art. It's got um, cover art by Alex Ross, and I'm forgetting who the main uh, artist is. But basically, the whole premise is kind of like branching off from his Marvels. Um, and it's his, Kurt Busiek, telling, kind of just telling super superheroes how he wants to. But it's all contained. You don't have to worry about 50 years of Marvel history or DC history. It's Astro City over the last 20 years, but it only comes out on a pretty regular basis, so there's not tons of stuff, and you can really jump in whenever, and so I I read more of Astro City. Uh, I read Astro City Confession, which I've heard is one of the best in the series, and it was fantastic. It's um, basically there's a, a serial killer going around Astro City, and it's about like this kid that comes to Astro City to be a superhero, and you're kind of traveling around the different parts of the city, meeting all these different serial superheroes. I, I'm going on and on. If you <laughs> if you're into comic books and you want to like see superheroes kind of like refined down, and just have a really good story and not worry about like 10 different crossover events and like what's worried about what's going on in the, the fourth Batman book that they have coming out this month, but it's not the same title you're reading or any of those things. 
Astro City is really great. You can just buy a self-contained book, read it, and there's so much cool stuff about Astro City and just like the neighborhoods he's developed. Like there's one neighborhood that like is up in the hills and it's kind of in the shadows and like the hanged man floats around as a superhero and like all the like old if you think of like Norwegian fairy tales and like all that kind of weird stuff only happens in that neighborhood or there's like a very obvious Avengers like similar similar heroes or like there's heroes very similar to um, Spider-Man and, and things like that. And so like you get those same kind of stories, but in this really kind of refined, pure setting. Um, if I had the time and the passion, I would do an Astro City podcast just dedicated to it. It's fantastic stuff. What about an RPG set there? Uh, so you say that I really want to... The, this idea of, like, the neighborhoods, like, where that one neighborhood kind of has, like, the weird, like, old mm. history paranormal stuff. I want to do a superhero RPGs using any systems and have it keep going where people build up this world where the neighborhoods are different. So, like, if you GM'd an RPG, an RPG in that world, like, you make up your own neighborhood and th- the rules for your neighborhood may be different and they work there. Or you may come over to my neighborhood and tell a story with your RPG there. I actually, you say that, but I really want to do a big crossover. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, it's almost uh, like a West Marches kind of thing. What's that? It's almost like West Marches kind of thing where, you know, building the world as you go and persistency. Yeah. um, The Gauntlet has a shared uh, superhero universe, so it's not my idea. But the like when I when I think about it in terms of Astro City, it's like, oh yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. Plus, there's a ton of good superhero RPGs, or you could do it. I mean, you you could set Witchburner in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to drive up some hype for it, but the demand hasn't been there. So yeah. So do you still buy your most of your comics physically or electronically, no. or do you split or what? Um, unless it's something very specific. Um, like I did buy Terry Moore has a new comic series out. So I got the first issue of that in print. I got out of the print game. And then like now the gimmick I'm doing is I just try to read, like if I'm getting a new weekly comic, I'm getting it digitally and I'm limiting myself to one because I used to get like, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight books a week. Mm hmm and try to stay on top of everything. And it like just killed the excitement for, it. I used to be way into comics before I got into board games. Like that was my main hobby. Do you read and it on an iPad or on your computer monitor or what? Um, I do it on my little, like my, I have uh, a Chromebook that kind of flips into a tablet. So okay. I read them on there, but before I used to pull floppies and I don't know, like I just like, it's so easy to go back and read the old stuff now that you don't have to stay current. Plus with, there's Marvel Unlimited to like, which is a subscription service, and it's like six months behind current mm-hmm. publications. So like, if you're okay waiting six months, it's a hell of a deal. And at some point, I just told myself like, I think it makes sense to just be okay waiting six months. Yeah, especially if you start now. Like, if I were to do it, it's it's not like I'm ever going to catch up. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I mean there's thousands and they have a really good catalog on there. Like anything I think you would want to go read, you would find it on there. Um, so no, I've really cut back. And then now I just try to read stuff when it's collected because it's so much more enjoyable 
I mean, yeah, there's something I really still enjoy going to the comic book shop and looking through the monthly floppies and all that stuff. But it's also really nice to just have one book to read through and get a good chunk of a story or in some cases the whole story in, in one book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rich, that's going to do it for us. That's it. It's going to do it. That was 2020. It's, all, that it's was, gone. It's over. It is. There's good things coming in 2021. I I'm really excited for the games. Uh, game tables coming soon. Like there's yeah, you got your shelves now. up. Shelves are up. Um, TV's going up this weekend. It's it's all coming together. Can't wait to start using that. Transition next ward down to it. That's exciting. Right, so that's going to be the first. I mean, that's not going to be the first game that breaks it in, but it's going to be the first war game for sure. Um, I told Mitch when I was putting my shelves up, I was like, hey, man, you're getting dangerously close to filling up a whole shelf by yourself. He is, yeah. 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 He's like Especially... two-thirds of the way of a best of shelf. <laughs> yeah. I got some decorations I'm going to put up in my gaming room this year. I actually just got one from my mom. It's a, a plaque that my grandfather gave me a long time ago before he died with all of his like citations and medals and everything from World War II. So. It's a nice little oh. framed thing, and I want to put it up in my game room. So yeah, that and a couple other awesome. things. So good. Well, again, thank you for uh, joining me this year. Thanks for everyone who listened. Um, just a three-hour episode. That's all. No, that's all. Uh, and I, I think we'll close. Uh, we'll close with a little clip from Jason, and we'll oh, call it there. Jason again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks again. We'll be back. Um, I haven't told Richard this, but I'd like to bounce back in January to get ba- back on a regular schedule. We got 2021 to look forward to and plan for. Plus, we've been playing games. Yeah. We're going to talk about those games. I've had plenty of time to rest. I'm going to play some games <laughs> now. <laughs> awesome. All right, folks. Happy belated New Year, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Good night. And Matt has a note here about best board gaming podcast without a quiz. Uh, that's clearly going to go to Derailed. Uh, great. Tra- oh, a war game podcast. Well, I guess the best war game podcast without a quiz is... Uh, shout out to you guys, History on the Table. You're the only war game podcast I listen to. Uh, and really, one of two that's worth any salt, really. Outside of the board game arena for podcasts uh i listen to a lot of true crime a lot of weird history stuff uh my favorite podcast for true for the true crime genre is true crime bullshit this show has been great for i guess four seasons now uh three seasons about israel keys and one about kelly cochran if you like true crime and you like good storytelling it's phenomenal he has some weird pronunciations like iron, um, but check it out if you like true crime. Uh, and Israel Keys is fucking weirdo. Uh, so check that out. Uh, this other one is something that Rich, uh, you and I are going to have some beef on. I give my wife a hard time all the time about not taking any of my recommendations until somebody else gives them to her. So like Smodcast, I recommended. Then a friend of hers started listening. Then she starts listening. Um, a couple others, even like health advice, she'll ask me. I'll give her a recommendation. She'll go to her dad or her mom. They give the same recommendation, and then she'll do it. 
Uh, and I, I get endless pleasure from g giving her so much shit about that. Um, and Rich fucked me up on this one and, and got it all turned around. Uh, apparently she recommended a podcast called You're Wrong About. And I, uh, you know, just nodded my head. That's probably brushing my teeth. Who knows? But she recommended it. And uh, I think a specific episode in particular. Uh, and then Rich recommended You're Wrong About for Acid Rain. Although I wouldn't recommend that. I like the... Uh, I like the Tanya Harding episodes a lot as an entry point to You're Wrong About. Um, but then I recommended it back to my wife and uh, have not heard the end of it. So, Rich, what the f***? Uh, but check it out. It's kind of a millennial take on historical pop culture. Uh, kind of shouting out things that you're wrong about. It also makes me feel superior because I pay attention to a bunch of dumb shit and... Uh, I'm, I'm not wrong about a lot of the stuff in there, but it's still fun to kind of hear that history. Um, it's kind of like a less political dollop, I guess. Um, great stuff. And it's still political, obviously, because it's 2020 and everything is political. I guess that's it. I wanted to swear more, um, but, you know, I guess, I guess I shouldn't force it. Happy 2020 better 2021 to you guys keep up the great work and uh man i'm sure i'll talk to you saturday for curse of Strahd. this segment brought to you by evan williams bottled in bond Giving you uh, about five seconds of room noise there, just in case. I don't know how deep into uh, editing audio you do, but it's something we do in the business. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, let's just talk about 2020 uh, something. Um, what podcast is this for? I can't even remember. Is this that thing, that other thing that Richard's on? Damn it. Mm -hmm. I feel like he does his best work over there. He's like half asleep and, you know, whatever when he gets to my show. So, mm-hmm. I see you over there.